Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy, Marty Bent. We're turning into a rap podcast, so we're just going to do beat. We're just going to just try to create like unique beats and become a producer of music. We're tired of the Bitcoin stuff. Just kidding. Matt and I just read for our rabbit hole recap. It is January 13th, 2022. Almost midway through January already. A lot going on in the Bitcoin world. Hope you guys enjoy this rip. It was brought to you by our good friends at the Cash App. Cash App just enabled Lightning Network payments. You can pay an invoice uh, over the Lightning Network via Cash App. We tried to do a live demo on air. Uh, it didn't work out, but it worked for me yesterday. I swear to God. Uh, Cash App's the, the best place to stack sats, send sats, receive sats, or sell sats, if you so please. If you haven't downloaded the app yet, make sure you do so using the code stacking sasses, S T A C K I N G S A T S. You're going to get $10. $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. This group is also brought to you by our great friends at Unchained Capital. We're moving into the same building as Unchained, the studio. Uh, I'm not I'm recording ads from a from a transitional studio at Pled Labs down the street from our new offices at Six and Congress in Austin, Texas. Uh, I'm very happy to be sitting next to Unchained. Uh, in the office because they're a dope team building incredible products to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. They have their cl collaborative custody model, <clears throat> which is uh, their vault product where you, it's a two or three multi-sig quorum where you hold two keys, Unchained holds one. You always have complete control of your UTXOs, but if you ever need Unchained to be there for you, to be the second in the two or three multi-sig signature, they're there for you. They have a white glove concierge service that's going to take you from zero to having a multi-sig vault set up uh, with a thousand cuck bucks worth of sets in it. Uh, they're going to have multiple video conference calls with you. They're going to get you hardware wallets. They're going to be comfortable with everything. They're going to help you eliminate your single points of failure in your custody model. And again, they're going to dump a thousand cuck bucks worth of sets into your vault after you have it all set up. They're going to hold your hand through the whole process. You're going to get $50 off if you tell them that TFTC sent you on this particular package. Then go check out everything they have at unchained.com. They have their lending desk. They have their IRA product. Obviously, they have their vault. They have all the incredible content on their blog. Unchained is here to be a partner for your generational wealth. Go check them out. Tell them TFTC sent you for that concierge package. You'll get $50 off. This trip was also brought to you by good friends at Brains. Brains is uh, the team behind Slush Pool, which is the oldest Bitcoin mining pool in existence. The first to ever exist. Still around today. Not an easy task. They're also the team behind Brains OS Plus firmware, which allows you to download firmware onto an ASIC that is compatible with the Brains OS Plus firmware uh, and then helps you stack more sats with your hash. If you have an ASIC that is compatible with Brains OS Plus and you're not using it, you were leaving sats on the table. It's as simple as that. If you're in the mining industry and you're looking to stay up to date on the latest stats, uh, whether it pertains to the cost of mining Bitcoin, the profitability, of, of mining a Bitcoin with your particular setup with inputs, uh, including the particular ASIC, your electricity costs, the wattage that it's pulling, blah, 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 blah. Insights.brains.com, a mind child of, of Daniel Frumps from, from the Brains team. Uh, go check out everything they have at brains.com, all the metrics, the data, insights.brains.com. Script is also brought to you by our good. It was brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle is here to give you a non-custodial, no KYC, no AML, uh, collateralized lending product. You go to lend.hoddlehoddle.com. That'll allow you to join a marketplace, which will allow you to put Bitcoin up as collateral to get stablecoin liquidity. Again, 
Uh, this is non-custodial. It is a two or three multi-sig. You hold one key, your counterparty holds one key, and Hoddle Hoddle holds the third key. Obviously, with this lending agreement, you can't have control over the Bitcoin throughout the duration of the loan, so you don't run off with the, the stable coins and the Bitcoin. However, you do have one key, which gives you visibility into the wallet so that you know that your funds are not being rehypothecated and that if you're paying your, your loan back at the end of the day, you're going to get your sats back in that collateral escrow multi-sig account. Uh, Alternatively, if you have stable coins and want to get yield on them, you can enter the other side of that marketplace, put your stable coins up to be lent out to Bitcoiners looking for liquidity. You lend that out, somebody pays you back uh, the stable coins you lent out plus interest. So you get yield on your stable coins. Go check all this out at lend.hodlhodl.com. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by good friends at the Bitcoin 2022 conference. Uh, if you listen to the end of this, we say it as well. If you use the code TFTC, you're going to get 10% off tomorrow, January 19th. Prices are going to rise. So uh, if you're thinking about going and you want a cheaper ticket, go now before the end of the day tomorrow uh, and you'll have cheaper tickets. If you use the code TFTC, you're going to get 10% off. Doesn't You can use that code from now until the conference. You'll always get 10% off. But if you want to take advantage of the lower prices, uh, make sure you do so before tomorrow afternoon, again, January 14th. The conference is April 6th to 9th in Miami, Florida. Uh, they're going to have Industry Day, uh, the first day for enterprising Bitcoiners who are looking to build business or career relationships. Days two and three are general conference. And then day four is uh, the Bitcoin Music Festival that will be headlined by Logic and many other artists. Last year's conference sold out. This year's is on pace to be three times larger it's in South Beach at the South Beach Convention Center. As always, Matt and I will be doing a live rabbit hole recap from the event. Again, join us. Use the code TFTC, get 10% off, and I'll see you in Miami. Enjoy. Okay. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts... All, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. Are we live yet? No, I think we're live. What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Ben here. How is there no way for us to tell on our side? I was looking at restream here. Um, uh, yeah, well, car counted it down. Um, there is like I a, love la- this a new lag background. Though. The black background's fucking fire. I did too. The abyss, the abyss above us up here. What is up, freaks? We are uh, back again. Rabbit hole recap: January thirteenth, twenty twenty two. First month of twenty twenty two. It's almost halfway done. Uh, we're we're. We're here again to talk about Bitcoin. I was just telling Matt before we went live that I'm very excited. I think there's going to be a lot of lively discussion this week. I'm feeling pretty jacked up considering a lot of the things that are going on as it pertains to the mining industry, particularly around the subcommittee that's being called uh, in in Congress that um, is questioning Bitcoin mining's validity considering its energy usage. Um, there's a lot going on. Bitcoin legal defense funds, a lot of software updates. But first, we got to check in with Matt. Matt, you look like you're struggling over there. You're going to be able to keep up. I'm a, I'm just a little bit hungover from uh, amazing Nash Bitcoiner meetup last night. Uh, always love, 
always love kicking it with Bitcoiners in person offline with discussions that are not recorded and broadcast after the fact. <laughs> um, and then I told Marty, I spent like the last, I told Marty and Car, I spent the last hour and a half assembling my new desk. Um, so we're getting there slow and steady. Hey, as long as you're getting there, as long as you're making progress, one little bit at a time, pun intended. Let's just jump right into it. Let's jump, let's jump, let's jump right into it. We'll go to Clark's dashboard. The current price of Bitcoin is 42690 cuck bucks. We are at block height, 718520 Nice even block height there. We had a difficulty adjustment between right now and the last time we recorded last Thursday. That happened, I believe, on Saturday or Sunday. It was an upward adjustment of 0.4%. Blocks were coming in 9 minutes and 37 seconds on average. As of right now, we are due to have another difficulty target in 1192 blocks, which is estimated according to Clark's dashboard to be January 21st, 2022. So that would be next Friday. If we stay at this pace, uh, it's going to be an upward adjustment of 3.9%. It's because blocks are coming in at nine minutes and 37 seconds on average. Um, blah, 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 blah. Whirlpool unspent capacity is, wow, above 4,400. Uh, 4,404.87, if I believe last week when we met, it was 4,380, or wasn't in the 3,000s last week? Or 4,000? No, it was 4,389. Uh, so I can't on. read anything. Matt Matt just admitted he can't read, freaks. Uh, so No, uh, I still got my, I have like a big screen. I have a big monitor in a box sitting right next to me, and I have like the little laptop monitor like out of reach, far away. So I'm going to have to rely on you. I'll, I can do the reading. I can do the reading for for the freaks and for you out there. Uh, big week. I think it's a big week. I mean, we still have this price consolidation. We had like a mini pun. It's hilarious how it'll go down to 39 and people will be freaking out. Then it pumps a little bit to like 42, 43. People are like, oh, we're going back up. But uh, it seems like Bitcoin is being very reflexive too. Uh, and correlating very tightly with uh, traditional markets. We've had Jerome Powell and crew, the Fed out and about, um, posturing. There's no way the Fed's going to fucking raise rates substantially. (laughs) I can't believe people actually believe that shit. Well, people don't believe it. That's the thing. People do. I mean, the markets markets show that people believe it. I mean, it's not just Bitcoin that dumped, like all assets dumped, stocks dumped um, significantly, right? Uh, So like, obviously... It's not priced like it's being priced in as if as if rates are going to go up uh, and markets will crash as a result. Uh, but that it just it just does not seem like that's going to happen. Leading into midterms, we have so much fucking debt on our balance sheet. The guy just I, they're trapped in a fucking hole. Yeah, well, that's the whole end game that the Fed has arrived at. They just have to play this public posturing game where they oh we're going to raise, we're going to raise. We just uh, we have to say that to make it seem like we're actively trying to manage and, and keep um, keep as far away from, from the economy as possible. But uh, what is inevitable due to the amount of money that's been printed and the amount of debt that's been accrued is that they always need to keep rates low, keep printing yep. more money. Yeah. <laughs> For, like, we're in a, it's a new paradigm. We're just going to, you know... The rates will be low and negative uh, until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. Um, 
You know what else is interesting, Marty? I, uh, I had a friend text me yesterday and the last time he texted me was a year ago because he texted me through signal the last time he messaged me on signal was a year ago uh super hyped about the bitcoin price passing 33k and i just think that's like crazy it's just, it's crazy looking back at you know how 33k felt a year ago and now we're at whatever we're at 43k a year later and people are like the end is nigh bitcoin is dead <laughs> that is uh Exactly what I wrote about in the bent. In, when I'm trying, I'm looking it up now. I believe, yeah, it was the tenth, so thirteenth, twelfth. Like I would love to Monday. listen to Rabbit Hole recap this a year ago today. I wonder. We need to start clipping old ones. Car, I'm putting this in the TFTC chat. Um, like Caps Odell was about to come out. Everyone's so bullish. <laughs> Caps Odell. What a difference a year makes. Um, I don't know why this. I think caps might have to come out again soon. Why do you think that? It just I just feel the caps beating on the inside of my head. Just want they just they, just, <laughs> they want to be let loose. <laughs> the well, we need them. I miss I miss caps Odell on Twitter. I mean, you're at Odell all caps. Uh, I, I think it, if you're going to stay true to the character that you've built. Around Caps Odell, he needs to be let out of, of the cage every once in a while. Scroll down a little bit, Car. Uh, speaking of the uh, right here, you start here. So this is the fear and greed index, which tries to measure the, the amount of fear or greed uh, within Bitcoin markets at any given point in time. This was January of last year, January 11, 2021. Oh, I thought this was great. The, uh, the Greed index was at 90 and uh, <laughs> at the same price was around $40,000, $41,000. And earlier this week, go down car with January. No, wasn't 8th. it even less price? Wasn't it like 30? Like, I, that's what I thought. It was like 33K or whatever a year ago. I went and checked. Uh, yeah. I mean, it went up pretty quickly from 33 to 40. But that's um, the funny part, right? Is like it was extreme greed. It's extreme fear at ten thousand dollars higher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we've, we have extreme fear now. The the fear index is at ten, whereas last year the, the greed index was reading ninety. Um, you have fear on one uh, side of the spectrum and fear on the other side. So uh, when we were blowing through that, everybody was being greedy, and now that we're hovering around forty thousand dollars, everybody's freaking the fuck out. Like, oh my gosh, is Bitcoin going to die? And like I said in the newsletter on Monday, this is what normalization looks like of, of Bitcoin just seeping itself into the culture. People, and it's like, yeah, forty-one price, anch price anchoring, right? It's exactly. Like we get anchored on a price, and then you know, sellers get exhausted, and then we move. For wow, smash Odell's some comments. Let's fucking go. Um, <laughs> Would you then, smash uh, smash Odell? That's one I haven't seen in a while, that account. So cheers. Um, you, we get like anchored to the price, right? And then it gets normalized and we go up. But really the answer to Marty's question is yes, Bitcoin is dead. We're going to zero. Yes. Everybody get out while you can. Hit hit, hit the hay. Let's call it a night. It's all over. It's at $40,000. The government's coming after it. Elizabeth Warren's on a war path. It's With just Kroger. Back. With Kroger, what did Kroger? Yeah, yeah, we'll get into that. That ties into the Elizabeth inflation Warren's stuff. Too, uh, she's too preoccupied with Kroger. Bitcoin will be fine. Yes, Bitcoin will be fine. So another thing, <laughs> tying up like the normalization and the price anchors thing. 
that's actually the price chart with the most signal is you look at a Bitcoin chart and you look at the yearly uh, the yearly lows year on year, what you'll find consistently over time, the, the low uh, per year uh, within a within a calendar year of trading has consistently gotten higher and higher as so you've just said higher high watermarks um, and at these at these troughs and these bull bull up air cycles of Bitcoin they just happen really yeah, you always fast. get good engagement on that tweet when you send that one out yeah let me uh look that up right real quick but no, I mean this is it's, it's hilarious how like like Matt said a year ago people were oh my god we're going the 33 we're gonna get 200k by conference day and now uh we're reapproaching that from the other side and not even really 200k by it. conference day still in play yeah the uh the 200 the 200 week moving average i believe i saw today is only at like eighteen thousand dollars. so we're still above that metric as well and if you're looking to measure bitcoin as a good long-term store of value i think looking at that 200 week moving Average metric is a good way to do it. That line's consistently up and to the right. At a very you want to pull up the car. You want to pull up the type in Meyer multiple by Bitcoin worldwide and pull up that Meyer multiple chart. Because the Meyer multiple uh, is, is, is basically what, where Bitcoin sits on the 200 day uh, moving average. This chart's interesting. I looked at it the other day. You're going to scroll down to the actual chart. Yeah. That's a pretty interesting chart. I'm not really a chart guy, but. You're a big Trace Mayer guy, though. So this is a... Not really a Trace Mayer guy either. <laughs> uh, but the, I agree that the 200-day moving average is an interesting metric. And I was... So this is showing how high Bitcoin is in comparison to the 200-day moving average. Trace I'll... is has his line there where he says, you know, what is it like 2.4 or whatever? If you buy under 2.4, it's, it's a good time to buy where that line is. But it's interesting. Look at the, like all the, all the peaks, the recent peaks, they almost always happen around that line. Right. The, the, the median, which is, or the, yeah. the average, excuse me, which is around like 2.4, like Matt said. So what we're looking which at. Which makes is, me just feel like people are trading on that. Yeah, we're looking at the mayor multiple right now on buybitcoinworldwide.com. It's currently sitting at 0.88, which is, is very much below average. From this point forward, we're just going to call this the Marty multiple to... Uh, <laughs> the Marty multiple. Trace has become a disgrace. Well, hey, he, he did create the mayor multiple. I'm not, I, I would feel dirty taking it from <laughs> The him. Marty multiple is pegged at 69. <laughs> right. Cheers, uh, BTC pins. <laughs> yes, nice, nice. Yes, it is. I can't nice. find. I can't find the two hundred uh, week moving average chart right now. I forget it was tweeting about that today, um, but I saw that floating around out there. Uh, but it's a good one to look at if you're again like everybody trying to basically define Bitcoin and using short term price volatility to to thrust definitions on the type of asset that Bitcoin is is a fool's errand. If you ask your Uncle Marty, and it's just like not wise. Again, Bitcoin's like a brand new asset. I hate comparing it. Like I said this weeks ago, digital gold, yes, it's easy to sort of for people to create metaphors and analogies to compare things to, but the reality of the nature of Bitcoin, its digital nature, its distributed nature, 
uh, puts it in a whole nother class and these comparisons and analogies are nothing more than uh, interesting mental frameworks to help people understand. They don't equate to full understanding by just being able to repeat them. I would argue that was a weird rant. I just went on, but stay on one stack sats freaks. <laughs> uh, what else have we got going on here in the world? I mean, we mentioned it in the beginning or with you bringing up Elizabeth Warren yelling at Kroger for increasing prices or their price gouging, uh, which is again, a very dangerous sign. We said this a few weeks ago when Jen Psaki uh, w- was speaking on behalf of President Biden, saying that it was greedy industrialist uh, in the the meatpacking sector of the economy, particularly that were leading to price increases. We've had Elizabeth Warren coming out, getting in in fights with Kroger, which is a a for those who are unaware, a shopping <laughs> market, uh, a, a grocery, grocery chain, a grocery chain in the northeast section. They're not of the even country. like the top grocery chain. They're like <laughs> their market share isn't that high. Like someone posted the market share chart of the different grocery chains. Yeah, I think Kroger's very native to the northeast. I don't think it gets. I think they're like nine percent or something of the grocery market, but they were like these grocery giant. But Elizabeth's like these grocery <laughs> giants are. Like Kroger, and she called out Kroger specifically. Do you think she like went to Kroger that day and was yeah, just like was, pissed off that meat was expensive? Yeah, I think Kroger is native to where she's from. Is she Connecticut or New York? Where is she from? Not probably. She's not. definitely not New York. I think she's Boston. Yeah, she's, she's uh, Massachusetts. Mass. Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. up in Massachusetts. I have a buddy from Mass that uh, a college buddy from Mass that uh, admitted to voting for her, like <laughs> I don't know, like six years ago or something. And literally every single time she said something, he's like tried to disown it since then. But every time she said something, we just, you know, post it in the group chat and tag him. <laughs> you voted for this. You voted. Uh, well, now she's coming after Bitcoin mining. We'll get to that. But with the Kroger comment, she's trying to thrust the problem of inflation on, again, these greedy industrialists like others uh, in D.C., you know, particularly the Biden administration have tried to do in recent weeks. And it's funny that this beef that she's starting with this this innocent grocery chain is coinciding with uh, U.S. producer price inflation jumping 9.7% uh, in December. So that data point came out today. That's the highest year-on-year increase on record, um, which is, again, this is producer price inflation. So prices for people that are putting together raw materials and ingredients to give end products that then get sold. So the prices are going up for the producer, uh, they're eventually going to get passed on to the consumer. So this is a leading indicator of even higher inflation. The fact that it's happening at the producer level around 10%, which is pretty fucked up. We have uh, someone in the comments saying, I've not verified this at all because my computer's all the way over there and I can't reach it. Uh, that there's 16, that Kroger owns 16 plus different store grocery store brands around the U S um, I don't know. I'm not a grocery store specialist, but I also don't. <laughs> I uh, if, if you if you think Kroger is overcharging, go to another store. Yeah, that's, I mean, the, that's what the that's what the market is supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. Optionality. We're big on optionality. Seems like they're trying to take it away though. Every day, you gotta you gotta fight for it, especially here in the United States. I'm too lazy to buy beef directly from rancher. Now I'm crying about the price of Kroger. I uh, I actually grilled 
I had a bunch of people over. I don't really care about Kroger. A couple days ago, and we grilled uh, beef from two local butchers. Um, so go 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 to your local butcher when you need meat, or a local rancher if you have a rancher. Go shake your rancher's hand. Highly recommend it. Uh, the beef's better. You get more fulfillment, and you you get to again shake hands and look at the, the person is actually slaughtering, raising, slaughtering, and packing the meat that you and your family are enjoying. It's a, you got to get a reconnection with this part of life. That's a part of humanity right now. That's why we are living in this clown world. So many individuals out there are completely disconnected from reality and hard work and uh, uncomfortable truths. A lot of a lot of people who just like to eat food at the grocery store don't want to think what's happening down chain. Go, Marty, you still own that cow? I do. I do. It should be... Uh, up for slaughter at the end of the year. Are, are you ever going to take custody of the cow? Yeah, I'm going to take custody, custody of, of the meat of it's the cut up parts of the cow after <laughs> after it's it's lived a long and happy life uh, and has been slaughtered to feed me. My I think it'd be hilarious if in you know your other studio where you're in your backyard if you just had like the cow like grazing behind you as you, as you're recording. That would be cool. I don't know if uh, the wife would be happy. With that, due to the smell, the upkeep, start eating the bamboo. You know, it's just a lot to go on. Maybe when we get like a bigger place, we'll have a ranch. We'll have multiple cattle. Yeah. I hope to one day have have multiple cattle. It's Um, not a real citadel if you don't have cows on it. Yeah. Yeah, you need to have cows grazing around, natural gas in the background, mining Bitcoin, terror guns. It's it's all going to happen. It's going to be a beautiful incredible cypherpunk future. Uh, but getting back to inflation, which is helping to drive us there because people are looking for <laughs> alternatives and the only viable alternatives to escaping uh, the monetary policy that most of the world is subjected to right now, which is dovish Keynesian monetary policy. Like Bitcoin is the only thing. So this 9.7% uh, jump in producer price inflation year on year is is an is a t- essentially a tax that's been levied, almost a 10% tax on producers that they did not opt in for, uh, they did not vote for, they have no control over. They can't go to Jerome Powell and say, stop doing this. He does not have to listen to them. And I tweeted out right before we went live here, like an hour ago, like, you literally don't have any power within this US dollar system or a similar fiat currency system that's being run around the world. The only power that you do have is opting into a better monetary system built on sound money in the digital era, the digital age, which is Bitcoin. Um, and so we had 9.7% yeah. 9. producer price inflation in the US today. And it also came out Argentina rolling 12 month inflation is 50.9% in December. This is transitory. It's, it is transitory. Um, so it's not only happening here in the US, Argentina, which has been plagued by hyperinflationary crises multiple times in our lifetimes. I'm only Many times. Um, is it seems to be going through. And they have strict one. capital controls too. The one thing is like, yeah, like Bitcoin does provide us an escape hatch because we can, we can opt out of the fiat system and move to Bitcoin. Um, to a degree, so do other hard assets, uh, less hard than Bitcoin, you know, stuff like real estate, stocks, gold, I'm like very happy. I'm obviously very grateful we have Bitcoin to go to instead of those. I'd rather go to Bitcoin. But in Argentina is a perfect example where 
they have strict capital controls, so they make it as difficult as possible to get into any of those assets, whether that's, and, and in this case, it is actually easier to get into Bitcoin in Argentina than to get, you know, a lot of times than to get into uh, foreign equities or real estate, stuff like that. Like the access is, is significantly better. Yes. Matt Alborg at usefultulips.org. He's written a great piece on Argentinian money changers. They're black market money changers. I forget what they're called. I want to say flavelas, but I know that that's like a, it's like a, like an area of a city, like in, in Rio. Um, favelas. Favelas? It's favelas. It's not. There's flavelas. no L. Yeah. Yeah. But that's uh, not, that's not the money changers. That's the slums in Rio. Yeah. Whatever. There's a great article on usefultulips.org uh, about this particular black market. And yeah, they're, they're saying it's 50.9% inflation. If you really want to get the, the real inflation rate, you probably want to go to one of those money changers and see what the cost of, of money is there because that'll give you a more accurate reading there. So it's, um, and, and strike just opened up in Argentina too. We have that on the list, I guess, while we have Argentina on the mind. I mean, I would say, I mean, in a Bitcoin world, if you want to really know the value of something, it's it the value of the currency is how much you can get, you know, actual Bitcoin for and, and get it, you know, in a self-custodial way. Yeah. Um, that that that's the value of money. Yeah. Is, is is the is basically its price in Bitcoin because that's the closest thing you have to a to a free market. Yeah. Any Argentine listeners out there? Uh, have any stories from the ground on what's going on with the inflation? Particularly, please reach out. I mean, how many times can one country go through? I mean, this, I think there's a third or fourth in the last thirty years. Like, how do you even? How do you even try to create an economy over generations? Just having that happen to you, like in one generation, it's happened three or four times. Um, but it does seem like Argentina is a pretty resilient country. I mean, they still have a very vibrant culture. And, um, in spite get, in spite of their shitty money. Yeah, exactly. Imagine what they would do if they had adopted good money. Um, Soon. Yeah. It's good to see. Stri so Strike was available in the United States, El Salvador, Argentina as their third market. Um, obviously the fact that Argentina has constant, uh, hyperinflation issues mixed with, uh, that remittances is, is a, is a massive market there. People sending money from the United States back to Argentina from other places back to Argentina, um, making it an ideal fit for something like strike. Uh, it's interesting with this, uh, rollout, there's no banking relationship. They don't, they don't have a bank on that side. And what what's happening is you're either you're either going to so they're using tether for the U.S. dollar portion, which I believe is very is is similar to how they did did in El Salvador. Um, and basically, the ways to onboard or offboard into the app is um, either remittances, someone sending you Bitcoin from abroad, uh, or uh, they have all these cash points. They have all these these places where you can, you pay cash um, and you're able to load that up either as Tether or Bitcoin to, to strike um, and vice versa. 
to tether they're getting more more ingrained in the app there. I mean, that's the way to route around the bank account issue. Right? Yeah, I mean, look, there's a, there is a lot of obviously tether has third party risk. I mean, you have to trust tether. Um, obviously, strike has custodial risk if you're holding things on strike, so you have to trust strike. So if you're holding tether on strike, you have double custodial risk because you're trusting tether and strike. <laughs> but you know, if you have double digit inflation. And you you want you want access to basically a dollar asset, um, then that could be a risk that you're willing to take, right? Yes, it certainly can be, and especially if you're just using it for for a few minutes, you just need it literally for the rails of of moving money because you're not able to be a swift or the traditional rails. In Argentina, it's, you can't even send a two hundred dollar visa payment because the capital controls are so uh, strict on U.S. dollar access. Yes, they're not allowed to take. Uh, they're not allowed to take more than two hundred out of the bank at once like, per week. Yeah, it's right. fucking crazy. Like the capital controls are extremely fucking uh, strict. So now Argentinians can either use Bitcoin and they can hold their wealth in Bitcoin, right? I believe Sats are my stablecoin. I know they're not for everyone yet in this adoption <laughs> phase, but they could. Or they can hold a U.S. dollar type asset in respect of Tether, and they can instantly transfer that around the world at low cost uh, using Lightning. Um, so they have choices, and depending on their situation, um, they will make they will make the choice that fits fits their threat model and and life situation the best for them. What are your What are your thoughts on the potential emergence of Synthetic stable coins on Lightning. Um, I mean, I'm I'm involved with the bounty program that HRF and Strike uh, put out, which is uh, a Bitcoin to anyone who can come up with something like that that doesn't require a token. That is essentially a a open market protocol where people can go uh, long long Bitcoin or I've reversely basically just peg themselves uh, to Bitcoin. Um, I think that's a very interesting concept. Uh, it, it'd be nice because, you know, you, it's all Bitcoin based and it can be an open protocol. So it, the market could get very liquid, uh, rather than having something like Tether, where it's literally just a centrally controlled company that's breaking us laws that is holding, you know, billions of dollars, apparently that you can't verify that is actually backing the whole system. Um, it's long been a ticking time bomb. It's amazing to me that they've lasted this long. Um, so obviously, you know, in a world without Tether, Tether blows up, we need an alternative. And before anyone says, you know, USDC or one of these, you know, super regulated American-based stablecoins is an answer. Uh, I mean, I, they are, I mean, even Tether has some blacklisting they do, but like the amount of KYC requirements and stuff that's going to happen on these regulated stable coins is going to make it completely impractical for anyone who's trying to get around capital controls, uh, like is the case in Argentina. Yeah, they're going to have to, they're not going to be able to send US, like, stable coins created by US, like, like Circle or, or Coinbase. They're not going to be able to be using those because you'll, <laughs> you'll have to get the okay from Coinbase. In circle, and um, they probably don't want to get involved with these these sanctions, and that's another thing. Noting that, like circle, they're doing like a big 
a big advertising push in airports. I don't know if you've realized this recently, but Newark and Austin, both ends of my flight, uh, back to and from home over the holidays circle was like just blaring advertisements in the airport, which I thought was interesting. What was it for USDC? They were doing it? Uh, for USDC and, and Bitcoin. Yeah. I, um, we have someone in the comments, uh, X frog saying, um, asking they're sending tether over lightning. I thought Argentina strike is using the ERC 20 Ethereum token version of tether. Um, I'm not absolutely sure if they're using the Ethereum token version. I think they are. Um, they're not sending Tether, period. Uh, the users got Tether as a balance for their USD balance. And similar to how Strike is working um, in America and El Salvador, when you send that USD balance to someone else, what is happening is the dollars are being sold for Bitcoin instantly and Bitcoin is being sent over the Lightning Network. And then on the receiver side, if the receiver's a Strike user, that Bitcoin is then immediately being sold for U.S. dollars, and if that is in, um, if, if that is in America, that's like fiat in a bank account, and if that's in El Salvador or Argentina, my understanding is then it gets converted into tether. Um, I don't know what the decision making was for why they chose to use the Ethereum token version of tether. Um, there's obviously a liquid version of tether. There is a Tron version of tether. Tether's on a bunch of different fucking chains. Um, the original Tether was on Counterparty. I don't know if people still use that one, like the Omni token version of Tether. Um, but my first thought when I'm thinking about that is maybe it has something to do with those cash points and just the fact that uh, Ethereum Tether is probably the most supported Tether. If you want to convert you know, cash into Tether to fund the Strike app or vice versa. I thought Tron was more supported. Tron Tether. Tron has more volume. Yeah. Because the traders like it because the fees are lower. Well, that begs the question too, because ETH gas fees will be high. I think I don't think we we're, we can confirm that it is ETH. Like it could be liquid. But Matt It's like, definitely not liquid. <laughs> it could be. No. I I mean, look, let's be honest, right? Like the overwhelming majority of people that are using this are just going to, it's a custodial US dollar balance. Yeah. Right? Like it's, when people use Strike, they're not withdrawing their dollars really. Most of the time they're not. They're just leaving it as a US dollar balance in the Strike app and using it as a neobank. Does that have custodial risk? Yeah. Do you also trust Tether? Yeah. But there's no trust in Ethereum in that situation because at the end of the day, it's a centralized database. Yeah. So what chain you use what chain you use Tether on um, is both irrelevant to the adoption of that chain and is irrelevant to the security model of the Tether itself. Very good point. They're just rails. There's no way to like self-custody Tether. Like you're always trusting Tether the corporation to not blacklist you or take your money or exit scam. So there's this idea that you could ever hold cold storage or self-custody Tether is bullshit. Know the risk, freaks, if you're getting into it. We do know there is utility for stable coins in certain parts of the world because people do not want to stomach the, the short-term price volatility and need a stable savings vehicle. We would say stats are, are very stable. However, people do need to buy things and interact in the daily economy where they live. Um, but hopefully there's synthetic stable coins on Lightning Network that will come to market. Lewis Liu uh, was, was teasing that today 
I'm very interested to see how they get brought to the Lightning Network specifically. Is it going to be a contract for difference, discrete log contract that you just have a bunch of those that scale up and get enough liquidity that they can be parceled and, and used as stable coins? We shall see. That seems the most likely. Yeah. Um, like some kind of contract for different system. Yeah. But look, all this stuff is like, like it's great. Like I completely understand why people, and, and, and we've talked about this in the past that, you know, as, as fiat starts to die around the world, the weaker currencies are going to die first and people are going to try and escape to the, to the currencies that are the fiat currencies that are felt to be stronger. So in the near term, you're going to see a lot of people try and escape to the U S dollar the U.S. dollar will fail last because it's a global reserve currency, um, or it'll be one of the last to fail. Like it'll be like the U.S. dollar yuan, um, the Chinese yuan. Um, but ultimately, you know, this is a a short term thing, right? Because long term, you know, you don't need. Why would you? Why would you peg your Bitcoin to shitty money? Exactly. You just hold Bitcoin. This is just a. I think this is something we've been clear about. Throughout the history of the show, we brought up stable coins and it have conceded, not even conceded, just recognize that they do have utility for certain parts of the world. It's just transitionary bridge use case as we transition to a Bitcoin standard uh, slowly but surely over time. And it may happen faster. Like you said, the weak currencies are going to die first. Uh, we're seeing the Argentine peso, you know, 50 the lira, the lira in Turkey. Um, whatever currency uh, Kazakhstan is using. This is a crazy Wall Street Journal headline. Turks pile into Bitcoin and Tether to escape plunging lira. Yeah, this is in the Wall Street Journal. I, I, didn't, I wasn't able to read it until you provided us with the archive link. Um, but, it, I mean, it's happening. Obviously, Erdogan, very... And we'll say that, that, like, let's get into it. It's going to... The weak currencies are going to fall first. We're seeing with the lira, we're seeing with Argentine peso, and why are they failing as miserably and terribly as they are at this current moment? And similarly, in Argentina and Turkey, you have government regimes, whatever you want to call them. In Turkey, you have Erdogan. In Argentina, I don't even know who's president there now, but they've, like Matt mentioned earlier. Maybe um, the point is they're they're using very granular top down control of the money markets, particularly uh, trying to control them and, and finding that they have no control because when you try to exert that much control on these systems, it, it, it drives people to lose confidence in them. Because uh, why do you need to exert that much control if you had control in the first place? It's sort of a cascading uh, doom loop, if you will. Like fifty percent Argentina. Producer price index, close to 10%. I mean, getting close to double digits in certain parts of the U.S. economy. Like, it's like, how much better than Argentina is that? So, like, what I'm trying to get to is the U.S. dollar will be last. But still. The U.S. dollar will be last to fall. But, like, it's, it's one thing I worry about, especially in the hyper-connected, hyper-communicative world that we live in today. And monetary inflation particularly high to hyperinflationary events, again, are two parts. You have the mechanical part of it, creating more monetary units that dilute the individual share of, of the whole pie if they're not acquiring a commensurate amount of 
units with the percentage that the supply is being expanded by. That's one part of it, which most people just focus on is is price inflation and as compared to the amount of money that's been printed. But the second part that people don't talk about enough is the social aspect of it. Like once people start to lose confidence and you have this weird feedback loop, like does it happen quicker? The long winded winding road I'm taking right now is just to ask that question. Even though lira, the lira in Turkey, the peso in Argentina are blowing up spectacularly right now. And we believe that people will find solace in the dollar. Like the dollar is not doing, it's doing better on a relative basis, but uh, an absolute basis, it's not doing so hot itself uh, as well. Um, and so like the dollar's a shit coin. They're all shit coins. They're all cuck bucks. And then, yeah, it's like, how bad could this get? Like you said, like the Fed's never going to hike rates. That's becoming glaringly obvious. Like, in, in, well, they might hike rates, just not substantially. 50 bips. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying like, we should, we should make that clear because when they like barely hike it, people are going to be like, Oh, I knew, I knew it. I told you they were going to hike it. Yeah, but it's going to be, they'll hike it. And I, if they do hike it, they're going to have to do it. They run to negative. They're going to have to do an intra meeting like intervention because the markets are going to shit their pants. Uh, and then they'll capitulate again. Maybe that's when you start having the psychological aspect kick more into gear is if they do hike, so that's the question. I think the threat of hiking is a better strategy and you just never do it. Because yeah, but you, how many times can you bluff before like people fucking start to figure it out? Well, well, so we, we have the game theory of monetary economics, which is you either overtly default uh, if you're a country printing all these treasuries, you have two ways out. You either overtly default, say, hey, we're not going to be able to pay this back, which is politically untenable, or you inflate away the currency. Um, so obviously, we've chosen to inflate uh, away the currency and then within that let's inflate away the currency then you have another game theory like what's better this bluff and never hike or uh, do we just hike and pull back at which point it becomes more than glaringly obvious that you can never hike and so then you have the feedback loop there or if you bluff and bluff and bluff like no we just two more weeks two more weeks two more weeks can you extend it um, even further going forward with that strategy I would argue the bluffing is probably a wiser of the two strategies. The emperor has no clothes. No, buy Bitcoin. I'm not that that message that car just pulled up from Nicholas or whatever. I've never I didn't hear about that. Did you hear about that? The three largest German banks want to offer a Bitcoin service. I mean, yeah, yeah, I one. saw the I saw the headline, but who knows? Who knows how legit it is? Um, if it's custodial, it's bullshit. If you can't withdraw, it's absolute bullshit. Yeah, um, the Germans don't seem too keen on freedom these days. It's still, uh, I guess it's a solid boost for public appeal or public opinion or something. Um, yeah. But I, I didn't hear about that story, so. Yeah, I mean, there was like, you, you always have to dive deep into these stories because like yesterday, Bitcoin Magazine tweeted out like Arkansas is offering... Uh, individuals, particularly in the tech sector, that move to Arkansas to work remotely from Arkansas, they'll appease them with ten thousand dollars of Bitcoin. 
And I was like, all right, it's like, is this actually happening? I wanted to write about it. And then I went and found out. Uh, it's just like one little county council in Northwest Arkansas is offering is offering people ten thousand dollars to come move there in um, Bitcoin or not in Bitcoin, cash or Bitcoin. And then on top of that, they're like offering bikes. And, That's pretty and cool. Scooters. I didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah. I went uh, in Arkansas, Northwest Ar- Arkansas. If you want to move to Northwest Arkansas, 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 uh, and you want to like work remotely in a beautiful area, this is how they're pitching it. This Northwestern Arkansas Council, uh, they have a budget, I believe, of up to a million dollars to to disperse uh, ten thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin or cash to individuals in the tech sector. So if you're looking for a good way to stack, uh, you're looking for some beautiful scenery. Northwest Arkansas will have you. They'll, they'll give you ten thousand dollars worth of worth of Bitcoin as well. Why the bike? Because apparently they have a, like the most bike trails. Uh, I wonder if they got the bike sponsored. Yeah, I, I think it might be like a bike voucher, but yeah, no, it's pretty. It's like good. hard to get a bike nowadays. There's bike shortages everywhere, so yeah, could be worth it. It looked beautiful in the the area. Um, where, where what Northwest Arkansas? What is that border? No idea. Nebraska? I don't know. Not even going to try. Not even going to try. You did just try, but... <laughs> I didn't try. That was me taking back my try. Um, but this uh, this highlights... Right, pull up a map of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> this highlights the... Um, I mean, the sovereign individual, Tiasis. Like, And it's weird, but this particular thing, like it seems like Bitcoin is just trying to attract a certain person. I don't think they actually really care about, about Bitcoin. Um you're saying, yeah, we'll give you Bitcoin if you're in the tech sector. We think tech people like that. But again, everything works in Bitcoin's benefit. Free press. Matt can't read anything, so I have to read all the lists. What's next? Legal Defense Fund. This was uh, very f- cool to see. This is fucking awesome. Come through the Bitcoin dev mailing list. Uh, Jack Dorsey, <laughs> jack at squareup.com. Um, went to the Bitcoin dev mailing list to announce that himself, Alex Morcos, and Martin White have created the Bitcoin Legal Defense Fund, uh, which they they intend to use to defend Bitcoin contributors in the space who are being sued um, in relation to their uh, work in and around Bitcoin. Mostly from Craig Wright. Yeah, mostly from Craig Wright. So it's basically... He's a fraud. If you... If you... um, (laughs) very prominent individuals in the space, Alex Morcos, Free Freaks, who are unaware, uh, is is one of the gentlemen behind Chaincode Labs in New York City who have been doing incredible things to educate people, uh, Bitcoin developers specifically, and then on top of that, Dude's been spending millions of dollars and tons of time out of his own pocket to support Bitcoin development for, when did Chaincode come out? Like five years ago now? Four years ago? Quite a while. Quite a while. I mean, even before that, um, respect. I think, I think he was sponsoring the BitDevs meetup in New York um, himself and Suhas. But yeah, there is some of the, the quiet, unsung heroes of Bitcoin in the background that are doing incredible things to make sure developers can do what they do best. Um, here, as you can see in the second uh, or third paragraph, the First activities will be to take over coordination of the existing defense of the tulip trading lawsuit against certain developers alleging breach of fiduciary duty 
and to provide the source of funding for outside Which counsel. Is the CSW lawsuit. Yeah, so these are all the troll lawsuits where CSW is suing people for hosting the Bitcoin white paper. Um, so it's good to see people stepping up and saying, hey, we'll front the bill on all this litigious activities that you guys are being subjected to. So it's more than this. just hosting the white paper. I mean, he's going after devs for developing Bitcoin. That as well. Saying yeah. that that they're that they're responsible for for him not get, having his rightful coin. I mean, if you had if you have your rightful coin, Craig, just use your private key, man. Sign the damn message. Move the damn UTXO. If you can't do that, then you're, you're a fraud. Wasting, yeah, you're, <laughs> you're a fraud. Put plainly. Uh, we talked about Strike getting into Argentina. We talked about that for a bit. SimpleLightning.com. What is a bolt? What is a blip? This is a great, so, great piece. This um, is... Um, this is Kiara Bickers and uh, Vivek's new project um, where they're basically, the idea is it's going to be a newsletter that tries to explain um, complicated aspects of lightning in a uh, more user-friendly, approachable way. Um, and the target audience is mostly developers and contributors, but I think it could be helpful for all Bitcoiners. Um, especially if you're trying to focus on lightning and if you have an interest in lightning. So definitely go check out, what is it, simplelightning.com? Yeah. Yes. And subscribe. No, it's, I'm happy you put this on the list this week because I didn't even realize what a bolt was until I had a conversation last week with somebody working on the, the lightning network. A bolt is what a BIP is at the Bitcoin core where the Bitcoin yep. consensus um, layer. So it's a basis of lightning technology. So if you want to add, you have an idea to add an improvement to the Lightning Network specifically, it is called a Bolt. And then it gets numbered. Bolt 12 has been talked about on this podcast a lot recently. There's many other Bolts as well, Bolt 9. Um, obviously, there's many BIPs. But uh, what I learned, the conversation I had last Friday was that there was a lot of contention around this. A lot of people, Luke Dasher mainly thought the Lightning Network stuff should just be BIPs as well. Did you, did you know about that? sort of discussion going on they actually like go into it a little bit in this in this piece uh i think they have a whole section of bolts versus bips um yeah how's a bolt different than a bip bolts and bips are forms of development proposals and lightning a proposal only becomes a bolt after two independent implementations have successfully tested interoperability in bitcoin a bip is more of an opt-in proposal standard for implementers to ensure interoperability yeah, so this is interesting where Lightning, you have many uh, popular implementations and creating interoperable consensus between them is, is very important. You do have that at the base layer too, but Bitcoin Core is by far the most dominant implementation of Bitcoin. Obviously, you have LibBitcoin, Knots, and others as well. Um, but I think the, the way... That Lightning Network is very interactive. It, it creates interoperability, being a very high threshold um, for, yeah, for all I mean, these improvements. I mean, there's a ma there's massive differences between Bitcoin and Lightning, right? And like B Bitcoin is like a broadcast system that is 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 consensus uh, consensus critical that that all participants on the Bitcoin network 
are able to agree on a certain amount of consensus on certain consensus rules. Um, otherwise, there will be forks in the chain and people will be on operating on different chains. And then Lightning is a link to link protocol. It's a, you know, you're, you have channels open with other peers that you are choosing to have those channels with. Um, so we have all these implementations that are all doing their own kind of take on Lightning. And they, it's ideal to have them be compatible with each other so that you have this larger Lightning network. But uh, at the end of the day, I wouldn't say it's necessarily mission critical, right? With no. Bitcoin, it's uh, consensus is, is key. Yeah. No, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Apparently, there's a lot of conversations about specifications, too. I think that's frustrating. There's frustration between some of the implementations because specifications aren't being <laughs> aren't being published so that some teams can build certain things they want to build. And there's, there's this is weird dynamic between the multiple implementations right now. LND is the most popular. Um, you have C-Lightning. Uh, LDK. LDK now, um, which... I'm assuming... The, yeah. On that note, yeah, Cash App. Uh, we didn't put that on the list. We didn't, so let's talk about it. I mean, Cash App's rolling out Lightning Network payments. I have access to it. Have paid. I think they're using LDK for that on their side. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, yeah. uh, Spiral BTC... It's been working on LDK for years. It's within the the block family of businesses. I don't have it in my app yet. Do they accept lightning deposits or only withdrawals? I think it's only withdrawals. No deposits yet? Uh, not to my knowledge. Let me check real quick. Which is interesting because you'd think deposits would be... No, I, I think, guess deposits are a bigger issue in terms yeah. of compliance. Yeah, with channel balancing and stuff like no, that. No, not even channel balancing. Just like they don't necessarily know who the sender is. Well, when they're sending, when you're withdrawing, they know all the invoice data. They know what node you're sending to. They have a lot of information there. The real question is when they add native Lightning support to their millions of square point of sales that you see everywhere. Um, like I yeah. was, you know, yeah, that's like it'd mean, be so easy for them to add that at this point. Yeah, that's what Carr has up on the screen. The newsletter really explaining where articulating just that as well. I mean, I think everybody's waiting for that. When does Square turn on the ability for merchants to to either accept Bitcoin or take a automatically take a portion of revenues and convert that to Bitcoin automatically? I think the, the capability to implement that is there. I mean, at the coffee shop that I go to every once in a while when I'm craving an iced coffee, their POS system within the last three months, or maybe I'm just noticing it within the last three months, has flashed a Cash App QR code that can easily scan and pay. Yeah. And I've used that. Yeah, so they always they already have the Cash App QR code. So that means that if you have Bitcoin and Cash App, you can pay in a custodial way with Bitcoin, basically. Uh, you know, if that's you selling immediately, well, you, yeah, paying. you'd have to but, sell and then pay. But I, what I want to see is like the like proper native lightning support, right? So like you can take any lightning wallet, fucking chose a QR code, you either scan the QR code or if you have an Android phone, you just tap the phone and pay with NFC. Um, seems like we're very close to that and that would be absolute game changer. Yeah, I mean, that's... Obviously, merchant adoption has been a meme in Bitcoin throughout its, its, its life. Uh, that was the big meme in 2014. Roger Ver and all the early Bitcoiners thought if we just got the merchants accepting Bitcoin, like that's how we win. And like, yes, it is a is a way to win. But 
how do you do that historically? You get somebody to the way they were doing it back in 2014 was literally getting people to download Bitcoin wallets on their phone and then having like the cashiers like learning how to create invoices and do this very drawn out process where a lot of phones and a lot of buttons and a lot of time was involved. Obviously, we've had things like BTC Pay Server and OpenNode come to market, which have done a great job of allowing people to implement Bitcoin payments into their point of sale systems. We have it on our website. It works very well. We love BTC Pay Server, but I think this, turning it on at Square, Square Merchants, having a merchant be able to just go into the interface of their their Square portal and say, all right, I want to accept Bitcoin. Uh, You have the optionality of, all right, you just want to accept Bitcoin. We could do it for you in a custodial fashion. Here's how you spin up a wallet. Not even custodial. Maybe you can have something. You can create a private public key pair in the system yourself. Do that. Save your. Well, they have their hardware wallet project that's separate, right? Which is this idea of trying to do maybe like a two of three multi-sig where Cash App Square owns one key. Your mobile device has another key locally. And then you have a third key. If they fuck around with you, you could. Yeah. That's a hardware wallet, a very cheap hardware wallet. Um, yeah, but that's even like higher on the tree. Like this is lo- like yeah. just like getting a software wallet in the POS system is like low hanging fruit. Implement that, allow somebody to upload yeah. an XPUB. I uh, expect like the way I would see the implementation happen is like something like OpenNode does, which is just fully custodial. Like this yes. will probably be the MVP, the first thing, just fully custodial. And the merchant will have like a little sliding bar that they decide like if I receive Bitcoin, I want to either, you know, keep 100% of that Bitcoin as Bitcoin in my wallet, or I want to keep 50% of it or 20% and whatever the remainder is gets automatically converted into your local currency. Um, that'll probably be the, the first implementation, right? Yeah, I would imagine. Well, and like yeah. on top of that, what would be even better, I think is even more bullish and would actually have more of a profound impact is giving the merchants the ability to quickly convert dollar revenues into Bitcoin. Because that's another problem with yeah. the merchant adoption meme isn't uh, necessarily that they're not willing to accept it. That most of the time, people aren't willing to, to spend it. Uh, and so... Yeah, I mean, yeah. It'd be you, dope if you had two slider bars, right? Like you had a slider bar, like if someone pays fiat, pick how much of that automatically gets converted to Bitcoin. And then if you pay Bitcoin, convert, pick how much of that gets converted into fiat. Yeah. That, I mean, the amount of like my parents that's one thing my dad sufficiently orange-pilled coffee shop wants to automatically every month convert 10 to 15 percent of the cash to to bitcoin right now it's a very manual process set up an outside uh, exchange account move funds from the business bank account to the exchange to buy the the amount of bitcoin it's very drawn out and clunky process. Imagine if just able to do it automatically at the point of sale. I think you'd see crazy amount of merchants around the country do it. Like, hey, you know what? Let's put five percent into into Bitcoin. And then you just have that constant buying pressure all day, every day. Let's do it. Square product team. If you're uh, if you're looking for like some UX feedback, let me know. I'm here, Matt. You look like you're about to murder somebody there. I'm just, uh, I don't know, like all this stuff has seemed very obvious for a while and there's just slowly and steadily just like checking all the boxes. So, yeah. Um, but lightning support seems like a big deal. Um, yeah. It worked. 
worked very easily here. We'll try doing. But I think uh, the point of sale thing will be a bigger deal, and it is coming. I yeah. mean, they're not idiots. Car, they have uh, great UX team. Car, let's uh, let's pull up a lightning <laughs> invoice. I'll pay from the cash app. We'll see. We'll do a live demo. Um, we we can't deposit lightning, right? No, we're, we're just got to pay an invoice. I uh, just got a tftc.io slash contribute. We'll, we'll wander some money to the business. One of the right promises now. I made to myself is I'm never going to KYC again. Why'd you say that? Cash App's the last. I'm already KYC to Cash App. Yeah, the. Um... Man, but I don't that... use it anymore. I like barely use it. I use it. Uh, I use it every. I use my cash card every day, honestly. Um... You don't have like just a normal credit card? No, no. You should use cash. Let's donate uh let's donate five bucks. I basically just use cash for my Amex. You have to change it, yeah. All right. Live um live cash app. Let's see how I'm long. I try to just pay. not use the credit card unless I absolutely have to. All right, it's being initiated. So that's the weird thing with the cash app flow. Like it like checks the invoice. Um Reports it to all the regulators and then pays it. Ooh. Oh, I might not have any signal on my phone here uh, at this this studio recorder. We'll try it. It's a connection error. Um, that's why you don't do um, demos live on air. Wait, you don't. You had reception. You had enough reception to open to open the app, right? Oh. Do you not have any bars? Does it Wait, just no. say no reception? I try it again. It says it's going through. Keep this up, Car. We'll see how long it takes um, to go through. Uh, <laughs> Should we just sit here quietly until it goes through? <laughs> we could. We could do that. Or we could talk about Bill Miller, legendary so value investor. Still has not come through. <laughs> we're uh, we're a minute and fifteen seconds into the invoice being paid. Um, Damn, this is a pretty underwhelming demo. <laughs> yeah, the Bill Miller, Bill Miller, man, fucking manages a two billion plus um, fund. Uh, he's rumored to be worth somewhere between like five hundred million to a little over a billion dollars. He came out swinging in an interview that was apparently recorded early December that fifty percent of his net worth is in Bitcoin and fifty percent of his net worth is in Amazon. Pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. The uh, the payment failed on this end. So, uh, yeah, invoice isn't going to get paid. I mean, and he's been in since 2014, he said. He said he's been buying since 200. So yeah. He bought, he bought Wences, a bunch. Wentz has convinced him. Yeah, Wentz's was the most most potent orange pill in the early days. But yeah, he rode from 200 to the 2017 bubble. Apparently, he sold it all. Tied the top pretty no, well. No, he didn't sell it. I don't think he said he sold it, did he? I, I thought I've read in a story that he he did that trade, wrote a massive trade from like two hundred seventeen sold. Then I thought he was just saying that in. he just he didn't buy again until thirty uh, k until we hit thirty k when it came back down. Yeah, I don't think he sold, but maybe. <clears throat> no, I mean this is just incredible to see. I mean, it's, expect more of this. It, it, it's pretty obvious once you come to understand the fundamentals of the Bitcoin network, everything that's going on in the mining industry, the utility enables as a distributed system, 
the the asymmetric bet that exists right now. Like Bitcoin is better money. People need better money. They're having an inflation tax waged on them that's getting to be immaterial costs. Like, there's going to be more Bill Millers. We said this last year when Paul Tudor Jones came out swinging and, and advocating for Bitcoin pretty aggressively. Bill Miller's feeling comfortable to do the same. Um, he's a bit bearish, though. He was recommending people just put 1% of their portfolios in <laughs> and to not, to, not, um, to not go 50% well, that, like him, which is pretty that's bearish. That's what Wentz, well. I mean, he's bearish because he only has 50% in Bitcoin. Uh, the, the, what he was saying, what I got from the interview was he was saying that Wentz has told him and everyone else in the crowd to put 1% into Bitcoin. He did that. Bitcoin increased substantially. He became a way larger part of his portfolio because he didn't sell. Then when it fell from like 69 to or 65 down to 30, he bought at 30 again, stopped at 50%. And now he's basically telling people if you, you know, if you're a high net worth individual and you don't have any Bitcoin, you know, dip your toe in at 1%. But uh, everyone, most people who start at 1%, if they stay humble, will eventually, you know, start to... <laughs> Start to near the hundred percent Bitcoin portfolio allocation. Hundred percent, hundred percent. If you're not a hundred percent, you're bearish. No, you take your time, big investors. You know, take your time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Fuck these guys. I'd rather if they took took <laughs> took longer. You know, let the let the little guy get in. Yeah, we're gonna keep pushing off the ETF. Keep pushing off the ETF. Also, we don't know if Bill Miller actually custodies his own coin. I assume he probably uses Zappo because that's Wentz's company that got sold to Coinbase. Um, Zappo was in the news. This but week. not your keys, not your coins, Miller. Why was Zappo in the news this week? Uh, they were in the news because they left New York and that they're going to stop serving U.S. customers and they got rid of their bit license. Yes. They just, I thought that was a pretty, pretty boss move. You said, no. Screw you, you, New York. We're out. That's but they're uh, owned by uh, Coinbase now. Yeah, they are. Which is interesting. So I guess they have some autonomy from Coinbase. And I imagine Coinbase wouldn't want to. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea that. how that works. Yeah. Um, we talked about Kazakhstan. But it was what? interesting because Bill Miller, like, it wasn't just the typical digital gold spiel uh he was like he was talking about like censorship resistance he was talking about he talked about executive order 6102 that you know the government can't easily come in and seize bitcoin and stuff and he was talking like someone who understands the importance of self-custody so i'm really interested if he was just being a hypocrite about it or is just naive and ignorant and doesn't realize or maybe he holds his own keys you know and uh look at you being all judgy he could have. No. He could be running a full node connected to Sparrow. He could be. He could have a team of like fifteen, you know, people who are like handling his whole operation. I'm. I'm just as as these financial boomers uh, start to understand the value prop of Bitcoin, we need to make sure, or we sh- we should. I think it's 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 imperative on us to make it clear that those kind of properties of Bitcoin are only. Uh, are only there if you use Bitcoin in a self-sovereign way, right? Like you can't, like there's damage being done when someone watches a Bill Miller interview and then goes and thinks that if they just like buy Bitcoin on Coinbase and keep it there, 
that executive order 6102 can't happen. Like that's like that their Bitcoin can't be seized. Like obviously it fucking can very easily. Yeah. Not your keys, not your coins. There's there's a spectrum of going full Coinbase, full Zappo custody to running your own node on Tor uh, using a hardware wallet you constructed from uh, everyday parts that you can find in a computer um, completely offline. There you get unchained existing to collaborative custody. You can set up a multi-sig with friends and family. At least have some control of your keys. Do not just keep it on Coinbase, especially if you're rich. Sailor, when are you going to start custodying your own Bitcoin? Like you got you to do that in house. Bring it in house. He might custody his own personal stash. I wouldn't be surprised that. Look at you being all judgy over there. Man, <laughs> <laughs> I was channeling my inner Adele. Uh, talked about Kazakhstan last week. Obviously, there's been an uprising there. Again, no comment on whether or not it's a Russia influence, US CIA influenced, Chinese no, influence. I have no idea. <laughs> Honestly, there probably, there's probably, there's, I shouldn't be laughing. It's fucked up, but there's probably uh, influence from all the agents, all the major agencies right now over there. Yeah, there's, there's definitely fuckery going around. I don't know what the fuckery is, but we do know that there are food and cash shortages spreading as Kazakhstan <laughs> continues to throttle the internet. I, I thought this article was interesting because, um, they don't you know, obviously, all, well, all the Bitcoin haters are like, Oh, look what happens when internet gets cut in a nation. Like you can't spend Bitcoin or you can't mine Bitcoin easily. Like, uh, like this is a fault against Bitcoin. But like you cut internet in a modern country and you just knock them back into the Stone Age. Like you just fucking every single aspect of society is dependent on internet nowadays. Um, and it's not that's not a unique situation with Bitcoin. No, it's a, I mean it's. If your the internet goes off, if they shut the internet off, the grid off, like Bitcoin's not going to help you, the dollar's not going to help you. But the the Bitcoin can still help. In, so if you're in a situation where um, only your country cuts the internet, yes, uh, Bitcoin is independent of that country, right? So if you if you find like a way to connect to the internet at some point in the future, you're going to have access to that Bitcoin. You know, obviously it should be that value should be independent of your government or whatever. In this case, like there are some ATMs that are still operating. The government has put capital controls on their on actual on the cash machines as well. Right. So they have full um, they're they're squeezing they're squeezing their people from every fucking side. Um, and I, I still think, you know. In that kind of situation, you know, Bitcoin is a, a, a massive tool for people. It's just going to be more difficult to use. Um, obviously, things like guns and ammo are also very useful in those kind of situations. And soap. And food was, independence. Soap, cigarettes, alcohol, bullets, water. Apparently, soap's... Uh, I, I water is pretty important. Yeah, water is very important. Hopefully it doesn't get to that point. Kazakhstan is getting to that point. Hopefully it doesn't get to that point uh, in other yeah. parts of the world. If you're in Kazakhstan and you're a freak and you're struggling through this, our hearts are with you. It's fucking, again, I, I, can't, I can't speak to anything that's going on there on the ground. I, I just honestly don't know. Um, 
don't want to sound like an idiot, but <laughs> I hope you guys are staying strong. It's fucked, man, when geopolitics affects the little guy. It's a thing. Like, it's all these geopolitical games over money, war, the war machine, whatever it may be. What is at the the center of all this? The the money printer, the global money printer that, that governments and central banks can't stay away from. Um, take that away from them, and I think they'll have a harder time doing all this bullshit that they're doing. Um, before we get the shout outs, uh, I just had to say um, I want to address something that has been eating away at me all week. Last RHR, I brought. Shame to my family, and I wanted to clear the air. I'd like to sincerely apologize to Ben the Carmen for shooting him off camera, shooing him off camera last week. He's a gem in the Bitcoin community, does not deserve this kind of treatment from anyone, let alone someone who can never fully comprehend the genius that lies in his coding ability. I mean no ill will, and I hope this apology will make that clear to my family, my community, and to Ben the Carman. And seeking to make my amends known to all and forever my wife and i would like to announce that the next bit bent bitcoiner our next child will be named ben it is our hope that this act will bring a peaceful resolution between myself and the council of bens i know i can never undo the damage done in shooing ben the carmen but i'll seek every opportunity possible to rebuild the bridges i single-handedly burnt down thanks for hearing me out freaks uh that was something I was forced to read because somebody paid for uh, a shout out. Obviously, somebody from the council of Benz. It seems like <laughs> I, I do not apologize. I do not apologize. I will read the shout out, but I don't apologize. Wasn't there a last sentence there that you didn't read? Uh, thanks for hearing me out, freaks. That was the last one. Oh, it didn't say. Now I'll continue to the shout outs. <laughs> no, it didn't. It didn't. Did you help somebody with this? I know I might have had a little bit of advance notice. <laughs> <laughs> Next shout out. Hi, Marty, Matt. Don't get me started on how much I love your content. Yeah, I won't. I won't. Uh, I have shit coins from long ago when I was younger and dumber. I'm seeking the best way to convert them to BTC in the most non-KYC way. My idea is to use the exchange within the Atomic or Exodus wallet as they both require no info to use. I think they use Shapeshift or Changely. I'd be glad to pay their extra fees for no KYC Bitcoin. Does this work? At the very least, I must be better than one of the big, it must be better than one of the big exchanges. Also taxes on these swaps, as well as mining rewards from compass mining are significant. How does one balance the need for privacy while also trying to not take chances with taxes? Is the idea to break heuristics while still paying the appropriate taxes? I don't mind paying the taxes. I just recoil from the privacy infringements. Thank you both for your massively important work. Thank you, Freak, for listening. Thank you for the shout out. Thank you for the kind words. And I uh, don't have any your position getting out of shit coins into Bitcoin uh, with the path of least resistance in terms of uh, having to provide personal identifying information. Changely or Shapeshift. I'm pretty sure it doesn't shapeshift KYC. Didn't they buy it? Oh, no, no. Shapeshift removed KYC because they like. They're using like Uniswap. They're like a DAO now or something, right? I don't know. Yeah. Um, when it comes I'm to taxes, not, pay yeah. your taxes. Yeah. When it comes to like mining income, market talk to is, an accountant. Yeah. Talk to a market as income, pay income taxes on that. I think like if, unless you get audited, I don't think you have to share your addresses if you're mining. Um, I think you still have privacy. You just have to tell the government, hey, I made some income and I'm going to pay taxes on it. 
I don't even think you have to declare it as like Bitcoin denominated revenue either. I'm not a tax accountant. I'm not a lawyer. No, talk to your accountant. Yeah, don't talk. Don't take it. Don't take advice from Uncle Marty on this stuff. That's what I understand, though. Um, pay your taxes, freaks. Hello, Marty and Matt. I hope your 2022 is going well. I really appreciate the work you both do to San Diego Bitcoiners. The San Diego blood, the San Diego Bitcoins, <laughs> Bitcoiners meetup yeah. has a very special event planned on Saturday, Saturday, January 29th. Yours truly will be presenting buying Bitcoin privately with Bisc. So it help out our last shout out guy. Your podcast often emphasizes the importance of privacy and the evils of KYC and its surveillance discount. Just went over it a little bit. I hope to use my experience with the platform to show how easily it is to reduce personal identifying information risk and starve the centralized rehypothecating price manipulating honeypots that we call exchanges of income they make off of our data. Hashtag get on zero KYC RSVP at meetup.com slash SD Bitcoiners. That's meetup.com slash SD Bitcoiners or DM me. Cheers, gents. Corey San Diego at InPharmacist at I-N-P-H-A-R-M-A-T-I-C-I-S-T. And then he has his message signature, as always. Um, And you can verify it. it. It's a HTTP colon backslash backslash signatures.corey with a C, C C-O-R-E-Y dot L-O-L slash shout out dot txt and you can verify verify at keybase.io slash verify great thanks for reading that hey you're welcome Thank shout you out for- to the san diego bitcoiners i fucking love how strong like meetups are becoming around the world um it's super powerful yeah it is yeah, i mean we said first episode of the year or last episode of last year i forget which one it was what was <laughs> One of the most promising trends of 2021, and that was uh, the the proliferation of, of bit devs and Bitcoin meetups all over the country, all over the world, and it only seems to get be getting stronger. Um, also, so. Dispatch this week on Tuesday is focused on uh, KYC trade offs. I got Laser Hoddle. Did Diver, you say Sunday? Zelko and Stefan Levera coming on on Tuesday. Well, uh, Tuesday. I thought you said Sunday. I was like, oh, no, Tuesday. Dispatch. Um, be here. You got a weird time zone because of Stefan. You're doing no. it. No, all right, sweet. Uh, I think it's, I think it's 5 p.m. Eastern, 2200 UTC. Be there, yeah. be square, freaks. Be there, be square. KYC trade offs. Um, what else do we have on the list? We're done. Shout outs. We've got software updates. Electris version 0.9.4 has been released. Blue Wallet version 6.2.16 has been released. Mercury Wallet version 0.5.6 has been released. TDEX version 1.2.2 has been released. Foundation Passport version 1.0.8 has been released. Hexa Wallet version 2.0.67 has been released. And Samurai Wallet version 0.99.98B has been released. If you're running any of these softwares, just be aware that these... Uh, updates are available to you. You don't have to rush to download any of these uh, as there are no pressing bugs or vulnerabilities. No, the Samurai one is. Oh, Samurai. If, uh, if you updated to 99.98A, uh, Whirlpool crashes sometimes, so you need to upgrade to 99.98B. Nothing crazy. No no funds at risk, right? No. Yeah. Just a Whirlpool Just risk. Very annoying. 
And I uh, think they like had they like released a code like sorry for the crashes or something. I, I don't <laughs> think that's the exact code, but uh, I had a great conversation with Christopher Allen and Wolf McNally, Wolf, who I was not previously aware of, um, but the team for Blockchain Commons. Uh, and I highly recommend you freaks go check that out. If anything, just to get back to basics on just like low level Bitcoin stuff and things that we need to be thinking about from a design perspective as we scale, particularly we were talking about interoperability between Lightning Network uh, implementations earlier, but go deeper than that. We're more fundamental than that, just between Bitcoin wallet software, things like derivation pass and having somebody download a treasure and being able to communicate with a cold card, with a ledger, with a blue wallet, whatever it may be. It's not uh, as straightforward at the moment as, as one would expect. And uh, the team at Blockchain Commons, being led by Christopher Allen, is working on sort of bringing some of these standardization specs to market so that we can we can build these these wallet softwares in parallel and, and have users be able to interact with each other. Um, as time goes on, it's something to think about now because if you develop a bunch of tech deck, tech debt, and a bunch of wallet providers go in different directions, it could be a complete shit show in the future. Cheers to that. You have any thoughts on wallet standardization? Uh, is that a weird thing? Well, like, is it like taboo to standardize? Because then, yeah, I'm forcing. I, I have, I have respect for Christopher, so I'm not going to, uh, I don't know. I just, I don't know if it needs, I, I, I think sometimes people go a little bit crazy on wallet standardization. And like, why? Come on, we're, we're, get into it. It's, get still, into it. It's, it's early days, right? So well, exactly. That's a, right. It's, it's, it's a permissionless system. You can build on top of it. Like we should be experimenting with novel, different ways of using Bitcoin. Like maybe it's a little bit too early to be standardizing and maybe we should not have like a centralized standardization body in Bitcoin. Like that is a little bit uh, dangerous. Uh, But if you get into the way I look at it, if you get into like the Gordian principles that they talk about, you just want to make sure that people don't lose funds. The way I view it, like standardize, like if you're going to have a wild software, make sure it's able like if, especially if you're going to recover from seed to easily find that seed and like be prepared for a specific derivation path. Like I don't see that as constrictive, is it? I mean, it can be in certain situations, but in general, like, yeah, I mean, like it's like, there's been a lot of benefits from BIP 39 standardization on like seed phrases um, that you can recover if people use similar derivation paths, you can recover using that seed into other wallets and stuff like that. Um, there's obviously benefits there. Um, I think there's just a part of like what the approach is necessarily. Um, and I think, you know, people should be open to uh, innovating and playing with things like, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if seeds are the end all be all of Bitcoin. Um, really? They might be. But they might not be. What do you mean by uh, that? Like, what could you say? What, what would you see arising outside of seeds? Well, I mean, for starters, you know, seed backups don't work for Lightning. What do you mean by that? Like, you can't 
they, they for lightning you need to constantly update your your state, the state yeah which is why most of the lightning wallets use some kind of cloud backup system because you have to constantly update it um because your channel state's constantly changing yeah that makes sense so is that. everyone going to be using lightning in the future or is that just a meme we say i don't know what do you think? Do you think I don't that? know. Are you getting bearish saying, on lightning like, here? No, no, no. My no. My point is, is just like I feel like it. It could be a little bit early to you know. Like I like the idea of wallet developers uh, playing with things and and do try and do novel things. You know. I do too. I'm not saying people uh, should be able to do that. I'm saying there should be. No, so I mean, Christopher, once again, a lot of respect for Christopher. Like he decided to do like a whole Twitter thread about how Moon was dangerous because it wasn't a, it was a non-standard practice, right? Now, Moon with two U's is like a very novel wallet that is trying to do novel things and is like thinking outside of the box. Like does Moon need to be standardized as well? Like that's their prerogative. Right, let them try and figure out novel things that interact with Lightning and on chain. I agree with that. Is there a trade off though? Yeah, the trade off is a lack of standardization. <laughs> <laughs> no, but is there a trade off of like of having like a sufficient quote unquote standard? When I think standardization, I think like Moon Wallet. Like if I create a seed somewhere, it should be easy for me to recover on Moon Wallet. And then to send to another wallet. There's no seeds in Moon Wallet. And I don't. Okay. <laughs> That's do, like the, one of the main complaints. <laughs> how do you back up? Um, you have a backup file, and you have a app generated password for that encrypts that backup file. So you save the app generated password, and then you save the backup file either on the cloud or you can save it, you know, on a hard drive. No, or you, yeah, you can save it locally. You can do like the share thing where it goes to another app. Like you can save it like Signal has this like little note to self thing that's like an encrypted, basically like little cloud storage thing. You can save it there. You can save it wherever you want. Um, it's a PDF. You can print it, but it's encrypted. So you also need the code. And like are funds at risk of loss because that's a non-standard thing? Sure. Yeah. In some cases, Um but uh, I just think it's like I I just I we're we're to to think that we know you know everything about Bitcoin and like what the best Bitcoin UX is um, right now is like I just it's I don't think that's the case like I I think there's going to be a lot of interesting novel ways of of doing Bitcoin using Bitcoin and I think options are good for users I do as well I don't think. Any standardization precludes options. Things can be made into standards. And I think Christopher specifically, I think his, his experience, particularly with writing specs for TLS, which is what SSL runs on, is very interesting because um, that's gotten to a point where there weren't there weren't a great standards set early on and they've gotten to a point where there's like very few developers in the world can actually maintain that because they, they know everything sort of interacts with each other. So the way I took 
his explanation of that experience, bringing it to Bitcoin. It's like, all right, how do we avoid that? Does standardization help that? Like I said, extent? I haven't listened. I haven't listened to the conversation yet. Um, what but, the hell, uh, Matt? But I mean, look, there's a lot of standard bodies and and in that in that sphere that is just very centralized. Like we were like, uh, who he was did, the one? He did we mention. Were, um, he did mention the Mozilla thing. What's it? Web three. Yeah. He mentioned that. I was like, eh, I, don't, I don't know how. Like you were like you were going off on them. Uh, like a couple episodes ago, like seven, eight, ten episodes ago, because um, they came out as what well, they came out as anti-Bitcoin, right? Anti-proof of work. Yeah. Um, like there are real concerns of having centralized rent-seeking standardization bodies that bully the majority of the industry to do certain things, and then can get easily captured, and like. Bitcoin is supposed to be this beautiful permissionless system. So there is a balance there. Um, and I'm just, I just, I don't think it's a black and white thing. Neither That's all I. I'm saying. No, no, I agree with you 100%. Like, I don't want these large, I don't want like a standards body. Like a bunch of suits like deciding. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking of something like Bitcoin design guide just applied to like what options you should give users when it comes to like seed recovery and being able to spend. Do you think every Bitcoin wallet should be backed up with a seed? I don't know. That, like, uh, that's my point. Yeah. Like, I don't know, but yeah. like, that, that's. But yeah, again, I think we're coming to it from different angles. Like, I, I, I think you're, you're saying I'm saying this, and we need standards, so like, everybody has to do it this way. I'm saying like, if you have wallets that have allowed people to create private public key pairs with backup seed phrase with a certain derivation path like for those users they should be able to recover that seed on any wallet right. I mean which means being prepared for all those different derivation paths the way I understand it at least um, yeah I mean I guess I, I, I'm thinking of that specific Chris Christopher thread about Moon Wallet yeah. where like you just attack them for being so called non-standard Yeah. With two U's. Yeah. It'll be interesting. It was one thing I didn't push push back when I got buried. The uh the W C three or whatever the hell it's called. W three C, right? W three C, yeah. I uh and like that thing too, like so like that happened, right? And like so he did that tweet thread and I got tagged by a bunch of people. Um, uh, because you know, I like Moon Wallet. Like I'm a fan of Moon Wallet. I use it all the time. Two U's. Um <laughs> So, so what did I do? Like, I was like, I can put you in touch with Dario Snyderman, the lead maintainer of Moon Wallet. And I was like, maybe have like a productive conversation or whatever. And that just like never really materialized. Like I created a group chat between the three of us and just, um, you know, I kind of felt the vibe of it's like my way or the highway. Oh, really? I just didn't like that vibe. Okay. What's well, good to know? I did not know this information. <laughs> did you see weirdo Robert Moon Wallet question mark spelled with two O's? <laughs> it's a good troll. <laughs> it's a very good troll. Um, no, man, I'm very interested to see this conversation evolve the way I came at it. Um, it's just like thinking about like something like that happened last year with like Trezor when they 
push an update that completely borked HWI that people have been working on for a while. Um, it just creates a headache. I believe multi-sig funds were at risk at some point for certain setups. Um, I don't think that was because of HWI though, right? Those are two separate things. I think the same Trezor update affected uh, both. I mean, I would say like there's probably better argument to be made about hardware signing devices, whether mm-hmm. those are hardware wallets or whatnot, because there there are massive advantages uh, that like you get a cold card and you can use it with like Sparrow, Spectre, yes. Electrum, Bitcoin Core. Like it's dope that you can just use it with a bunch of different Blue Wallet, right? Like you can use it with a bunch of different software wallets. So there has to be more collaboration there. Um but I think like, you know, the next five, six billion people to use Bitcoin are going to be using mobile wallets. Agreed. And I think there is a lot of room for experimentation and, you know, novel strategies in the mobile wallet space. Like if you think we've hit pinnacle mobile wallets right now, like you have not used mobile wallets. Like we are <laughs> not anywhere fucking close to it yet. No, we will get there though. I mean, most people are going to be using Bitcoin mobile first yeah just like like most people do everything mobile first exactly in this world so prepare no i'm very interested this is uh an interesting conversation i'm sure will be continued um that being said the tools that they're building at blockchain commons are really cool the seed tool actually creating uh the u the qr code standard and the ur standard that they're creating is is really cool too um it really makes PSBTs a bit easier on certain devices. So go check out the conversation. Uh, on to more bullish things. Alex Gladstein got his hands on a piece of a deck that Fidelity or a report that Fidelity sent out. And Fidelity seems to think that there's going to be more nation state adoption of Bitcoin uh, in the Fidelity report. They said, we also think there's a very high stakes game theory at play here, whereby if Bitcoin adoption increases, the countries that secure some Bitcoin today will be better off competitively than their peers. Therefore, even if other countries do not believe in the investment thesis or adoption of Bitcoin, they will be forced to acquire some as a form of insurance. In other words, a small cost can be paid today as a hedge compared to a potentially much larger larger cost years in the future. We therefore wouldn't be surprised to see other sovereign nation states acquire Bitcoin in 2022. Um, the long-winded way of saying the the epic Goldstein tweet from a, a few years ago, or the only I fucking love that play. tweet. The only it's winning like one move of my to, favorite tweets on Bitcoin Twitter. The the only winning move is to play. Um, even though I, I mixed up the Bitstein tweets, I was doing the the Reservoir Dogs Mexican shootout or Bitcoin consensus. This is Bitcoin consensus. Uh, oh, I like that one too. Well, I like that it. movie. That movie is a fucking classic. I think it might be my favorite Tarantino flick, um, Reservoir Dogs. It makes me always like just miss that we like missed like the the great period of American diners. Oh, that movie. Don't say that. We, uh, yeah, we were never able to smoke in diners. I think it'd be great to have like a. Just like unlimited coffee for like 50 cents, just chilling, smoking cigarettes, eating eggs, banter. The with American the... diner is still pretty strong in like outside of cities, but like 
there was a there was definitely like peak diner that happened before we were born oh yes and like yes. i feel like that movie very very much highlights it the shout out to jimmy's diner in in williamsburg it shut down during the covid pandemic but that was that was a good a good diner i used to meet many a bitcoiner at for breakfast um, i love i'm a i'm a big diner guy myself you know who i met this week i met kyle from pleb lab good boss uh, austin bitcoin club finally he uh he made the trip to nashville yeah great oh, dude yeah that was incredible fun dude sitting across uh from Colorado. part of the reason i'm hung over <laughs> uh he uh how many people showed up last night i mean he doesn't drink so it's yeah, not so his I was fault say, i, I was having a great time with yeah, him <laughs> the um what was that the largest turnout what at nash Nashville. everything ma- prices people like are such you know uh people are such fair weather friends of fans <laughs> like it was i mean there was like 160 people there but it's you know price really we even see that with like we saw that with new york bit devs like even though it's a highly technical conversation like price really does change uh whether or not people come out um but there was like yeah like i said there was like 160 people there uh it was a good. It was a good crew. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Uh, ride or dies. Proper ride or dies. It's always going to be a ride or die. That's where you learn the most too. Is in the bear market. You can actually focus on these interesting, interesting topics. Um, speaking of interesting topics, uh, Rep. Tom Emmer from the great state of Minnesota introduced a bill prohibiting the bank from issuing a central bank digital currency directly to individuals, and he has long thread under this tweet that goes in to something we've been describing on this podcast for for some while, which is uh, this would be a terrible thing to happen if the Fed were to issue a CBDC and take over for commercial banks and essentially be the only way that Americans uh, interact with the monetary system. Can you read the thread? Because this is like pretty crazy coming from a sitting representative. What's the, like, especially the privacy parts, like read that part. As other countries like China develop CBDCs that fundamentally omit the benefits and protections of cash, it is more important than ever to ensure the United States' digital currency policy protects financial privacy, maintains the dollar's dominance, and cultivates innovation. CBDCs that fail to adhere to these three basic principles could enable an entity like the Federal Reserve to mobilize itself into a retail bank collect personally identifiable identifiable information on users and track their transactions indefinitely. Not only does the CBDC model raise single point of failure issues, uh, leaving Americans' financial information vulnerable to attack, but it could be used as a surveillance tool that Americans should never be forced to tolerate from their own government, requiring users to open an account at the Fed to access the United States CBDC would put the Fed on an insidious path akin to China's digital authoritarianism. Any CBDC implemented by the Fed must be open, permissionless, and private. This means that any digital dollar must be accessible to all, transact on a blockchain that is transparent to all, and maintain the privacy elements of cash. In order to maintain the dollar status as the world's reserve currency in a digital age, it is important that the United States lead with the posture that prioritizes innovation and does not aim to compete with the private sector. Simply put, we must prioritize blockchain technology with American characteristics rather than mimic China's digital authoritarianism out of fear 
Representative Tom Emmer. Hell of a rant, and I've got a very pleasant surprise for you. Uh, there is a blockchain technology that uh, has American characteristics. I love that true, term, American characteristics. Stays true to the ideals this country was founded. It's called Bitcoin, baby. It's been around since January 3rd, 2000. <laughs> love it. That's pretty crazy. Isn't that pretty crazy coming from a congressman? Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Um, Tom Emmer has been like a good advocate too. It's good to see this coming out of Minnesota as well. Um, somebody in the comments said flyover country. I don't like the term flyover country. Like, he's, right, it's drive-through country. Yes. These are, uh, <laughs> these are good people doing good things in the middle of the country. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's heating up. Like th this is actually incredible. Like having this on the floor, the Fed cannot create a CBDC. We do not want to compete with China because that's what the CBDC will lead to if it's done in this fashion. You'll have complete surveillance. You'll have complete control over money. And that is not true to the American characteristics that we would like to uphold. And so like drawing that line in the sand with this bill is massive props to Rep Tom Hemmer. Because this is true. We either get the Chinese social credit surveillance system exported here or we're we're able to break free. And it's interesting because you, you have this posturing, like we're going to have a, a US dollar digital currency, but can't be issued by the Fed. It's got to be free. It's got to be open. It's got to be permissionless. Like what if it does become something like a synthetic uh, contract for difference, a CFD on the Lightning Network? Like what if that's the, the only one we allow if we pass this bill, which I doubt it gets passed. Do you? Do you think it has any chance of, of making it? No, I mean, it? it has zero chance probably, but uh, <laughs> it's still, it's still you know, an important precedent, I think. Yeah. Even if it has no legal bearing, I mean, it's it's all written there, right? Yes. The narratives are shifting and the conversation is happening. That's important. I mean, you have like the focus on privacy and the calling out a single privacy, point, yeah. calling out a single point of failure. Uh, and the, the privacy aspect is pretty big. It's pretty big, but I think he, uh, I think he's people don't talk about financial privacy, you know. No, but he's he's definitely thinking like taking a cypherpunk adversarial approach to this digital monetary system. Talking about like single points of failure, like when was that a a common uh, saying? Single points of failure outside of like military talk before people started talking about like these distributed systems. Yeah, I mean, I. I mean, I haven't, I definitely haven't heard any congressman talk about anything close to that. No. They are trading a lot, though. You see those? Uh, they're killing it. They're crushing they're it. They're just amazing traders. It has nothing to do with inside information whatsoever. <laughs> uh, speaking of countries spying and being despotic. I, I think there's one thing I could probably, I don't know if I, the thing is, like, this whole thing, like, uh, in a post-Bitcoin world, you can't stop politicians from trading. So the point is moot if the idea is that, uh, like, I saw some people on my feed, like, advocating for for politicians not to be allowed to trade. Like, that they need, like, a, a basically, like, a blind trust or something where they have, like, a money manager that is managing their money for them that they don't have any control over. Um, but to me that like in a post Bitcoin world, like if we actually have censorship resistance, fi free financial markets, 
like all is fair. Like there's no, there's no way you can stop that kind of trading. No. I mean, you just have to create better incentives. Like how does that trading happen? Right. Like you're, you're at the back end of the bad incentive network is, uh, Insiders, the front end is insiders in the form of lobbyists are able to pay for access to the proximity of the politicians uh, who they can then hand uh, basically lobbyist written laws to to get pushed into law, to law. Um, the money printer allows that to happen and bribing allows that to happen. And the incentives of getting more cheap debt uh, incentivize that to happen. And then that's happening and then the politician is just piggybacking onto that bad incentive structure and saying, hey, I know what's going to happen, so I'm going to put put some chips on on Pfizer here. Yeah. Um, does Bitcoin fix this? Maybe. We'll see. No, we'll that's see. what I'm saying. Bitcoin doesn't fix that, right? No, I mean, but it doesn't... I think Bitcoin cements inside... Like, is, 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 does insider trading exist in a free market? Yeah, I mean... No, it's just the market pricing things. Yeah. Like insider trading is a term that's created by regulators. Yeah, I mean, it, it, insider trading, right? what is it really? It's it's uh <laughs> it's pricing in events in the future. Exactly. It it's uh, the uh, efficient market hypothesis at, at play. If you believe in the efficient market hypothesis, insider trading's uh necessary as the most efficient market when people who know the information make a move immediately. Um, yeah, again, I fix the incentives. The incentives are all fucked that lead to ins insider trading, I would argue. Um, get back to a world where cash flows and actually creating valuable, useful products uh, is more important than, than just pumping the pr pricier stocks. So I mean, I guess like you have like all these assets that are like basically just monetized uh, significantly because the money's broken. So if yeah. uh, if most people are just holding their wealth in Bitcoin long term because they expect it, uh, you know, it to uh, appreciate in purchasing power, then all of a sudden you start to see real estate and stocks get demonetized to a degree. And then in that situation, we're kind of all just aligned on pumping the price of Bitcoin. Yes. We're all insider um, trading and, and buying. But I don't know if Bitcoin fixes. It won't. It, it won't fix shitty like people. It doesn't fix people corrupt politicians. Doesn't doesn't fix. Yeah, it doesn't fix corrupt politicians. But again, you can fix the incentives that enable these politicians to be more corrupt than they otherwise would. Uh, had the, the framework of of operation been changed via the inability to access cheap debt that. Is enabled by money printing, then from there again, externalities, ripple effects, blah 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 blah. But speaking, we'll we'll see if that that comes to fruition in the future. I do have an inclination that it, it certainly helps again, but it, it's not going to solve the problem. There's what do you think about Bitcoin Goblin's question? Do monopolies exist in a he did quotes free market? Man, they certainly form, yeah. Depends. Yeah, I'm, obviously. I mean, yeah. there there will be monopolies in a free market. The I think that's fine. That is, you know, that is capitalism. That is competition. Um, if someone can break that monopoly, then 
by offering a better product um, or being more efficient, uh, then they will break that monopoly and they'll have a massive incentive to do so. My bigger issue is uh, basically state-sanctioned monopolies uh, where you don't have a free market and the state is basically granting monopoly powers to different companies or actors, um, which I think is more of the case when you see things that closely resemble monopolies like Kroger uh, (laughs) in in America right now. Yeah, well, we, I mean, we've talked about this in recent weeks, particularly as a, in relation to like meat processing, it's not a monopoly in the sense, it's, it's an oligopoly. Where the the government right. be a strict regulation over how food is handled has essentially allowed this oligopoly to develop, where very few, less than five companies control something like ninety percent of the meat uh, in the country. Yeah, that's all government done. Yeah, similar. Like if it was a proper free market, there'd be more competition there. Yes, and like so- we have some guys in the comments saying like monopolies mean zero competition at the definition. Like it's just literally one player. Um, obviously we're talking about the shades of gray in between. Yes. I mean, standard oil is, I mean, they were essentially a monopoly, but they had to get broken up uh, into a bunch of oil and gas companies, but there were, there were competitors outside of them as well. Again, you can get into the nitty gritty of economic theory and, what what is described in the textbook, but as Matt described, there's often gray areas in the real world that, that don't allow that that perfect theoretical situation to, to play out in the wild. Human nature, man, it's it's one one funny thing. Always creating these variables that you can never predict because you can't model the human mind. While we're on corruption, Amnesty International is out verifying uh, that El Salvador, the government of El Salvador is using Pegasus spyware against journalists, which isn't a good look. Matt, <sighs> Matt Carney. And the name of the Pegasus spyware app that they installed was called Chiva. Well, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, well, don't be surprised if it is. Um, this is so, not great. Um, yeah. They're spying on journalists. They're, they're hacking their phones. There's two organizations here that verified this. Yeah, the Access um, Now and the Citizen Lab. Uh, the other link, if you click the Joint Investigation Car, um, yeah, this one is more in depth. But um, yeah, I mean, I think Bitcoiners should be rightfully upset about this. Uh, I think Salvadorans should obviously be. Um, concerned but in places where journalists are attacked uh that is not usually a good sign uh places where you don't have free press um historically have resulted in in repression by (laughs) the government yeah i mean we we covered the hong kong protest pretty heavily in late 2019 leading into 2020 people seem to have forgotten about that particularly after the whole COVID thing that, that conveniently got brushed under the rug. But one of the main strategies they used to eventually uh, subdue uh, the spirit of the Hong Kongers um, was to, to defeat the press. I mean, they've 
pretty systematically dismantled freedom of the press in Hong Kong over the last three years. Um, and, and now China's just got full reign over Hong Kong. Um, and so it's obviously a tactic used by authoritarian regimes. And so if it's happening in El Salvador, yes, it's great that El Salvador and Bukele are, are very vocal and loud advocates of, of Bitcoin. But um, Matt Carr and I were discussing before we hit record about this topic, particularly like you, know, you can't hold anybody who, who <laughs> advocates for Bitcoin on a pedestal or ourselves included. Um, so yeah, the hero worship from the Bitcoin community is getting a little bit out of hand here. Uh, Bitcoin will be fine. I'll be fine. Whatever. Um, just my two sats. Uh, it's uh, and I mean, unless we didn't even talk, we've never talked about it on the show. But like Bukele, like took all the he took a bunch of money from China for uh, their new soccer stadium. I think a new library too. Um, so he's taking Chinese money. He's holding the country's keys in America and he's spying on, like, took, kicked out a bunch of judges, packed the court, spying on journalists. Be aware. You know. Be aware, freaks. Because, I mean, that's, again, I worry about in the mining. This is a good transition to the mining stuff, too. Like, people, just setting up for narrative failure in the future. Um, again, you know, who's to say how President Bukele's uh, his tenure as president ends? Maybe it's a good note. Maybe human rights at the end of the day wind up uh, increasing. This uh, this report for Amnesty International it seems to prove uh, a data point in the other direction. We won't know until we know, but again, don't don't hold these people up on a pedestal. Don't create these narratives like, look at this president in this country uh, adopting Bitcoin. It's great. I think it's a data point. It should be acknowledged and discussed, but don't bet the whole house on on this being like <laughs> the the picture of, of Bitcoin. It's certainly part of the story and everything that's going on, but... Uh, despotic regimes will use Bitcoin to their advantage as well, we've seen it in Venezuela um, very visibly. They've confiscated mining equipment, plugged it in for themselves, mined for themselves, trying to scam people out of their Bitcoin for passports, um, uh, all that all that stuff. Um, so Bitcoin isn't money for enemies. Anybody can use it. Anybody can leverage in, into it. Just because somebody does doesn't mean uh, you need to worship them. Hero worship, as Matt, Matt, Matt describes it, yeah. Hero worship, uh, I think, will end up disappointing in the long run. And similarly, in the Bitcoin mining industry, hero worshiping like green, uh, quote unquote, renewable energy and saying that Bitcoin is going to incentivize and create cheaper uh, energy generation, which I think is true to a certain extent. But I think the, the lengths to which the mining industry, particularly in North America, is trying to stretch their necks to say, no, it's 100% renewable is just a bad strategy and only setting up for a, a narrative failure in the future when that turns out not to be true and everybody goes to the Bitcoin mining industry, you told us it was going to be 100% renewable. And they're saying, well, it's not. And so therefore, Bitcoin's a failure. You guys are liars. We just don't set ourselves up for failure in that way. Just own it. Bitcoin uses a lot of energy. 
using energy isn't bad. It's a good thing. It makes us more energy efficient uh, and it, it can help lead to an overproduction of uh, necessary electricity for the grid, which could lead to cheaper electricity. Um, but there will be more energy used. And that's something that the world has to come to grips with. It's okay. Uh, Bitcoin uses a lot, a lot of energy. It's going to use more in the process. It's going to make us more energy efficient. It's going to usher in a sound monetary system. And uh, we think that that'll be a very, very much so a net benefit for the world. Um, but whether it comes to presidents or the energy, uh, the source of the energy that you're using for your mining, don't set up bad narratives to try to appease people. And so, yeah, this is, again, Bitcoin mining. I won't this is why it. I said earlier that we can't say uh, the Fed will never hike rates. <laughs> <laughs> why do you say that? Because, like, they're going to do it a little bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> and people are like, oh, your narrative failed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, this is, I mean, obviously, Bitcoin mining is going to be thrust uh, into the conversation over the next two weeks in the U.S. particularly. Elizabeth Warren is calling a subcommittee particularly about the Bitcoin mining industry and its energy consumption. Uh, she's painting it to be this this massive polluter that's leading to the oceans being boiled and we're destroying the world because the Bitcoin mining industry is using so much energy and, it's, and I believe inefficient is and wasteful is the words and the descriptors that this committee is going to be running with. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. As you can see from this chart, the Bitcoin hash rate, heat rate uh, over time. Originally I thought the title of that chart was Bitcoin hash rate, hash rate. <laughs> Bitcoin hash rate, heat rate, which is the joules, uh, the, the joules per terahash, um, the amount of heat needed to create a terahash. Um, via Bitcoin ASICs has gone down significantly over time. In 2010, it was 13,333.33 joules terahash. Um, in 2020, two years ago, that dropped down to 36.75%. So the amount of heat necessary to produce a terahash has fallen significantly over time, which basically what that means is that the, the actual process of producing hashes that could potentially allow you to mine a Bitcoin block have gotten significantly more efficient with the heat that they're using. So Bitcoin mining has only gotten more efficient over time as it's consumed more energy. And then again, the energy it is consuming, very strong economic incentives in Bitcoin. It's going to be cheap energy, which is usually stranded or wasted uh, or does not have access to, to greater grid connectivity yet. Um, and this is a good thing. People are going to hit the hill and talk with congressmen and try to like point to renewable this, renewable that, green this, green that. And just I just say we own it. Bitcoin uses a lot of energy. It's going to use more in the process. Hopefully we can bring more cheap and abundant energy to, to the rest of the world. Beware though. Bitcoin is going to be dragged in front of the hill in the next two weeks to explain themselves to Elizabeth Warren. Why you use so much energy? What would your response be? You're on the hill. Elizabeth Warren screaming in your face. Is Bitcoin, Bitcoin deniers hate the environment. <laughs> you just stop there. Yeah, just walk out. <laughs> you just, you like take your Kroger brand pineapple juice. You just like drop it. <laughs> and you leave the plastic bag behind to recycle. Uh, 
last point I had for this rip <clears throat> in the same <laughs> in the same vein. I just went to pull up <clears throat> is Alex Epstein thread on ESG. <clears throat> We're gonna link to this in the show notes, but he does a very thorough dismantling of the ESG narrative and highlights. I, I think we should be leaning into this, like divesting from fossil fuels is immoral. Uh, the world needs more energy, like the energy demand is only going to be increasing from here. <clears throat> like all this divestment from natural gas, nuclear, oil specifically, is actually a detriment to humanity. It's increasing electricity prices and it's hurting the poor the most. <clears throat> We've been saying this ad nauseum at this podcast for quite some time now, but I think Al uh, Alex Epstein uh, did a very good, <clears throat> much more eloquent job of explaining the, the ills of ESG in uh, a Substack post that he wrote that he also turned into a Twitter thread. So we're going to link to that. Go check it out. These people are using fear spells um, and they're, they're making humanity worse off. We should start leaning into this instead of trying to hide behind like renewable energy. Like that's what we're going to find is Bitcoiners. Like the whole renewable energy meme, it's going to die because it's undeniable that this stuff is unreliable, not scalable and making people worse off. And, reducing the quality of life for for people who are subjected to regressing to less dense energy sources like be be better than the narrative of the day go to where the puck's going and the puck is going to it is blatantly obvious <clears throat> that esg and environmental larping is doing more harm than good so let's just beat them there own it uh and and tell them hey we're going to be hashing thank you for do you think uh, there's like a middle ground what do you mean like, do you think like no? I won't use the term renewable because I I I can agree with you that there's a you know some logical issues with the term. It's more of a narrative term, but you don't think there's use for solar or wind energy? Or, I do, I do. I just think it's more at an individual scale. Like what they're it's just more to... expensive than people make it seem, but. It, it exists as an option for people. Yes, you know? for individuals. I do not think wind and solar should even join the conversation when it comes to creating base loads of energy for grids. Like that's where the ESG, the Build Back Better, the Green New Deal is trying to transition base load energy, which is like this just the, the base uh, amount of energy needed to supply energy and electricity to residential grids that we're using right now. Like this, the grid that is providing the electricity that is powering our setup here today, uh, I don't think should be backed by wind and solar because again, they're unreliable right. intermittent sources. I do think like, yeah, I do think there is a mix that makes, that could make sense in certain areas where, yes, yeah, I'm not saying like no wind and solar like allowed, that. but it's like the conversation where they're trying to force it is wind and solar and hydro are the only base loads that we're allowed to use. And that's just very dangerous. Well, I mean, I, so my thought is like, <laughs> so I guess solar specifically, right? Because uh, solar specifically is interesting to me because uh, usually if, if we're talking about nuclear or we're talking about wind or we're talking about hydro, this is like kind of things that like either a large corporation or a state sanctioned large corporation or the state itself kind of needs to develop an infrastructure wise, right? But is there not like a individual sovereignty aspect of of solar or like diesel generators or or I guess not gas wells if you live in a place, but 
but like, so, so what I was, so what, what brings this conversation about is so dread was posting. He had an M30s, uh, what's minor in Jamaica that he had plugged into a dryer socket cause it was two twenty, Um, and he said this single rig makes more money than the average Jamaican makes, um, on a daily basis. And then someone was like, yeah, but you're in Kingston and you're paying 50 cents a kilowatt hour, um, which is if, if you don't know energy if, to the freaks that don't know energy prices, that's like fucking insanely expensive compared to America. Yeah. Now that Jamaican who lives in Kingston, like they can't set up nuclear energy. They can't use nat gas. They can't do hydro or wind or any other kind of power situation, but they could get they could source solar panels. And like, is it going to be like the best, uh, most reliable energy source? Like, no, but there's like an individual sovereignty aspect to it, right? That they can just buy the solar panels, deploy them, and they don't have to ask permission <clears throat> from anybody. Yeah, no, I'm completely fine with that. I think that makes sense. And sh- people should do that if they can. Um, if you're desperate, like, yeah, like if you if you desperately need to. Like if your infrastructure is failing you, there's there is there is there not a sovereignty argument to solar? Yeah, yeah. there definitely is. Um, but again, when it comes to like grid, we're not talking like sovereign, right? No, I'm, like, yeah, let's absolutely. let's make sure the lights are out of my house for me, like with my off grid setup here. But like trying, like what these people are trying to do, ESG and um, these environmentalist movements trying to get us off natural gas, nuclear oil and coal right like they're and i'm not saying like the 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 solar is necessarily environment more environmentally friendly or something i'm just saying like from from a purely individual sovereignty point of view there's there's an argument there yeah for solar specifically yeah i would prefer natural gas well like i would look for land yeah but i mean there's just no natural gas wells in kingston jamaica no no not kingston jamaica Um, (laughs) yeah you'd probably be better off with wind or solar there or maybe even hydro to find a, a waterfall. Uh, yeah, a I mean, hydro is harder to do on a small scale, but you can do it on a small scale. Yeah. Whale oil for the win. Yeah, just go get the, that whale fat, put it in a... Go kill a whale, freaks. <laughs> That's how, that was how we got most of our lamp oil for, for quite a while. We were killing yeah, and whales. Soap. And soap and perfume. Whale fat. If you find some whale fat on the beach, uh, I think it's still the key ingredient in perfume. The, it's much more valuable than gold, apparently. Um, we don't need more volcanoes. Yeah, it's the other thing too, like geothermal, like this stuff too, like go poke a hole in... in Not Yale. available in Kingston, Jamaica. No. No, well, I'm just thinking generally. Um, well, that's the thing about mining, right? With mining, the whole cool part about Bitcoin mining is that like it doesn't have to be where like... Geography agnostic. Yeah. yeah. But like when we're talking about like our lives and we're talking about like trying to be more sovereign and more independent. <clears throat> yeah. I feel like, I, I feel like, I feel like Marty Bent gives solar a little bit too much shit when there's like, there's some massive sovereignty aspects there. Yes. And I, I would agree. I can come off that way, but uh, again, I have yeah. to stress that my, I have no beef with wind or solar. Like, in and of themselves, even though I do think they're marketed very disingenuously, uh, I'm against 
baseload electricity on grids being provided yeah. by unreliable energy sources like wind and solar. Like, these are nuanced conversations. Like, yeah, you can have, I don't care if you have a fucking solar panel or wind turbine in your backyard. Like, just don't try to force a fucking city to use that as their only source of electricity because it's going to lead to rolling blackouts. Um, yeah, we should just have little mini nuke reactors in every house. That's the other thing too. That I think I saw a stat this week that like since 1971, funnily enough, when there was a nuclear regulatory body put in place, not one new reactor has been approved or something like that. I mean, I used to be, when I was growing up, I was like a big, uh, like I loved Popular Mechanics and Popular Science magazines and stuff. And like, if you read the ones from like, the late sixties, early seventies and stuff, they like were, they were expecting like a reactor in every household. <laughs> I hope we get back to the thinking that way. But like, that's a perfect example, right? I mean, first of all, that might happen, but like flying cars, stuff like that. Like when people try, I think it's, it's important that we're all humble. I mean, just going back to like our earlier standardization conversation about Bitcoin, like that we're all humble enough to realize like, we can't really fathom how Bitcoin will be used in 10 years. Um, if you asked me in like 2014, you know, to envision some of the things in Bitcoin today, I had no fucking idea. If you asked me like three years ago, some of this shit, I could have not, I couldn't have fathomed. Um, so, and that's as someone who is like obsessed with it and paying attention all the time, constantly thinking about that shit, still caught off guard. So, there's a lot of things that we just can't even um, fathom. Yeah, I said fathom like three times, so I was looking for a synonym, but yeah. We literally can't, <laughs> but we literally can't fathom. And that, like, and yeah. I hope I, I want to make this clear. Like, I'm not calling for like a standard board or anything like that. I'm thinking, again, what you're describing is like leaving the option for creative human thought and innovation to come to Bitcoin, which I completely agree. Like, I don't want to pigeonhole to anything. Where I'm coming from is like, all right. We do know that people have used Bitcoin in a certain way up to this point in terms of creating private public key pairs and with certain derivation paths. Like just make sure the man in the coma is able to wake up one day and and recover without having a heart attack. Um, I think there's a well, the poor there. guy gets out of a coma and then he has a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can come out of a coma. <laughs> like, damn, I was forced to hodl for for 15 years. And poor dude. The price was just the, the the purchase the the price appreciated so much. The purchasing power appreciated so much he had a heart attack. Yeah. Um the man in the coma, he's always getting the shit out of the stick, man. Yeah, people changing protocols around him, his girlfriend's probably cheating on him. I feel free, man in the coma. Count Bitcoin's famous. Um Cheers to you, Count Bitcoin. What do we got to riff on here? Anything? I don't know. I'm thinking. Like, um, Bitcoin 2022 ticket prices go up at the end of the week. January 14th. You just go to TTC. Shill it when that happens. That's tomorrow. What is the code? The code's TFTC? Yeah, you'll get 10% off. So if you use code TFTC, you get 10% off and we get 10% VIG, right? Yes. If you use code open source, you just get the full 20% off. And we don't get anything. So you have a choice. You can either support us or support yourself. And do not share the code open source on Twitter. Otherwise, they're going to remove it from me. And we don't get any cut from that. 
Um, I'm pretty excited about the whole bit devs type situation we're doing on the first day, the industry day. It's going to be very good. Very technical. We're not going to understand anything like that's, it should be. That's the way to do it. Um, I think we might have some breaking news here. What? Uh, it's not breaking news. It happened as we're recording. Uh, so breaking. Dun, dun, dun. I'll put this in uh, our group chat car. You can pull this up. Um, so it seems like in Jack in Jack in October, Jack Dorsey tweeted: "Square is considering building a Bitcoin mining system based on custom silicon and open source for individuals and businesses worldwide. If we do this, we'd follow our hardware wallet model, build an open and in collaboration with the community first. Some thoughts and questions was the tweet that Jack sent out in October that was quote tweeted a couple of hours ago by Thomas Templeton, who said in October, we announced that we're considering building a Bitcoin mining system out in the open and alongside the community, and we've decided we're doing it. Thought we'd share some more details on how our initial discussions are going and where we're headed next. We want to make mining more distributed and efficient in every way from buying to set up to maintenance to mining. We're interested because mining goes far beyond creating new Bitcoin. We see it as a long-term need for a future that's fully decentralized and permissionless. This is a long thread. Um, Why don't but, you give us the the TLDR? Well, I, was, I was learning along with you guys. <laughs> um, so it looks like they're... Isn't this like why, why we have a producer? Like, Carr, read through it and tell us what the TLDR is. <sighs> You're interested in performance and open source and our own elegant system integration ideas. And I guess it's just the idea phase. They want to fine tune for availability, reliability, performance of, of machines, uh, I guess. So you want to create the cheapest machines to last the longest. will be reliable. Breaking. Bitcoin mining manufacturer wants to make cheap, efficient machines. Well, breaking... Uh, seems like Square's mining initiative is moving forward. They're, they're, yeah, I guess that's, that's it's more, positive. It's more than an idea, which we could use. We could use more more competitors in the Bitcoin I, basic landscape specifically. I will say two things, and I've said it similarly in the past when we've talked about it on both Rabbit Hole Recap and when Steve Lee came on and dispatched and we discussed it. Um, first of all, I would love to see uh, more like retail-focused types of rigs, right? So like the new generation of rigs are basically decide, designed for warehouses. They're like industrial appliances. Um, there's a world, I think, that you can have a very efficient, the same type of efficiency for, for the rigs that are just, you know, lower power, uh, that are more retail focused, um, that are designed, you know, with good firmware that you can just put them in your, put them in your house, um, decide how much heat you want coming out, how much sound you want coming out, stuff like that. Um, and that's kind of, to me, that's like the step before we start to see them, like every water heater in America has a Bitcoin miner in them. Um, and then the second thing is, I mean, their goal is to build it out in the open, which is, you know, very respectful, respectable. And uh, this idea of like an open source ASIC manufacturing is very interesting and intriguing and, uh, hopeful and op I'm optimistic, you know, it's a great, it's a great thing to see, but at the same time, we have literally witnessed the exact opposite from the miners, mining manufacturers that have dominated the space, which is very proprietary closed development cycle, try and keep everything uh, tight lipped so that you don't really know when the efficiency gains are going to happen. That's their competitive advantage. 
So it should be interesting to see a big player like Block, formerly Square, um, come in and try and do this in an open way. And whether or not that'll be successful or not is, I would say, still up in the air. Agreed. Agreed. You'd have to. I mean, that's the whole meme, ASIC commodification. Is the industry getting to a point where we're close to that, at which point open source hardware may make more sense because there's just such a lack of design space from which to innovate at the silicon level. Um, who knows? Like um, like we described, sorry, I just got a text from my wife. You saw like mad face. I don't know what's going on. Um, oh, shit. I don't think she's mad at me. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> the, That's what they always say right before they realize that she actually is mad at you. Yeah. I mean, back to the ASIC conversation. The ASICs are not easy to make. They're expensive to make. If you make mistakes, they're expensive mistakes. 21 Co., like that is one of my favorite, like fucked up and ASIC run. Like their heat sinks just weren't so bad. Weren't big enough, and every literally every chip that they invested a shit ton of money in burnt up. Literally, the uh, majority of people and companies that have tried to build ASICs have failed miserably. Yes, it's been a game of just absolute ruthlessness, slaughter. Yeah, yeah. Um, Butterfly Labs. I mean, like even like the bigger players can't produce like great ones, like Canon and Minerva. And then what was the Blockstream one? Oh yeah, whatever happened to that? Dragon. Dragon Mint. Oh, Dragon, Dragon Mint. Mint. But didn't they buy another ASIC manufacturer or something recently? I don't know. Most most people most people and organizations that have attempted to create ASICs have failed miserably. Yes, this has been very expensive. Very expensive mistake. Oh yeah, the, the someone brought up the one that Pomp was shilling and invested in CoinMine. Um, that I would say is a little bit different angle because that was for retail, and the idea was you would mine shit coins with it, and then because there was a GPU, and then you could auto dump it for Bitcoin. And it was a little bit different because they made a very strong profit on each machine they sold. Uh, they just were not worth it. <laughs> it was just very overpriced um, and not profitable. Yes, yeah. Spondulis. Fucking crazy. There's so many. Yeah. ASIC Miner. ASIC Miner was a company. It was tradable on Havelock. Yeah, I mean, there, and there's rumors that there's actually people in this city in Austin working on ASICs. Uh, the Houston Bit- Bitcoin meetup a couple months ago. Chad from Winstone was, was teasing that. So we'll see. I'm highly skeptical. Uh, this is the first time anybody's trying to do it in an open source out in the open way. I'm very interested to see if that leads to any innovation because maybe maybe that's what the market needs is just literally opening up the design space in a visible fashion so that people can see, outsiders can maybe see something, oh, maybe you should tweak this. Um, I mean, look, the nice thing about Block in general, formerly Square, in terms of uh, cash up in terms of spiral in terms of tbd in terms of this initiative in terms of their hardball initiative is they have a shit ton of money uh they're well capitalized they have very easy access to financial markets they seem to have leadership including dorsey and the bitcoin team underneath him um, that are very ideologically motivated and they're in a unique situation where like they can burn a shit ton of cash they can burn a shit ton of cash and try their best. And if it fails, 
you know, the company will still be massively successful. They'll still be the number one finance app in the app store. You know, they'll still be the number one point of sale terminal um, in the country. Uh, that that kind of situation is a very unique situation. Um, and I'm very grateful that they're they're using it for for the betterment of this mission, which is Bitcoin. Yeah. And uh, BTC pens. Funny you ask. I wonder if they're sponsoring the pod. <laughs> Actually, they ha- ha- do. They happen to be. Uh, honestly, ca- honestly, if you're a freak and you don't know that they're sponsoring the pod at this point, like, not gonna make it. Uh, 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 yeah. I mean, it, like you said, like they could. They have the cash to burn. I think if anything, is that's, that's the interesting thing. Like if they fail, but the progress, if they do make progress, and by doing it in an open source fashion, maybe somebody could pick up the baton there even and run with it um, to create better ASICs, which, which would be a net benefit for for Bitcoin. Yeah, so I mean, uh, just looking at the actions of, of what's going on at Block, uh, whether it be a Cash App, uh, TB Dex, whatever it may be, uh, the, the Bitcoin legal fund now, like it seems like Jack Dorsey and team are all in on Bitcoin, which is a great thing to see. Um, what else have we got? What else have we got? I don't know, Marty. Have we been going for two hours and 15 minutes now? No. Two hours, 18 minutes. Oh. Two hours, 18 minutes. Um, I'll keep saying, like, I think the uh, the COVID narrative's unraveling. Everybody's everybody's getting it. That's good. The The line down the street for me. To get testing is annoying. People are definitely in a mass psychosis. They're having to sit in their cars for hours to get tested. The OSHA mandates just got shot down, which is a great thing. I think sanity may be returning to the world, but you're talking to an idiot who called uh, top in the clown world in the summer. So um, it seems like things are, are turning. Yeah, well, we still haven't hit the top. Move to a free state, ignore the noise, love your fellow freaks, stay humble, stack sets. Matt is just, Matt is just like... Ready to leave. He doesn't want to hang out. <laughs> two minutes, two hours and 15 minutes in. Two hours and 18 minutes in. 18 minutes in. You're just sick of me already, Matt. Jesus. I'm kidding. Uh, I need I to eat some food. I do have to eat as well. Freaks, thank you for joining. Thank you for joining the live chat. If you're joined live, if you're listening at home, we really appreciate it. If you're listening via podcasting 2.0, compatible app thank you for for the value for that you're providing us we love it um thank you for the shout outs uh even even to the person who um tried to make me lie i'm not apologizing for shooing ben carmen that was fucked up that you shoot ben if he came back in the room i'd shoo him again i'd shoo the him again go fuck themselves but that shoe was only only that that's something a neil would do no, Marty's Marty's act on their own their own plane. We could shoe, shoe Neil shoe Ben shoe. Yeah, I mean it was just like Ben, you're you're just sitting in the shop for two. You're, he didn't bring the he didn't bring the the cuts butt that we needed. Um, on air, one of the freaks should clip out the shoe. Oh, uh, post on Twitter. Our bar, our our boy Paul Miller already did. Did he really? Yeah, he's a good friend of Ben too, and he said, "I'm going to start using this because Ben is a very annoying person." And like, 
It gets to a point where people want to be polite and like don't want to like tell them. You just shoot. You just get. Uh. You watch your mouth. Don't talk to Ben about. Don't talk about Ben that way. What did? When did? Where did Paul post it? On his Twitter. Oh, I got to check it out. Car will pull it up. We're gonna pull it up before we leave. I was here. chilling with Paul yesterday too. I'm gonna be chilling with Paul today. <laughs> yeah. See. There it is. That's so fucked up. Shoegate. No, no, yeah, shoe. Here, Freaks, go retweet, go retweet Shoegate. Or <laughs> Ben, come in and we'll make another one. I dare you to. I dare you to, Ben. He's over there right now. He's in this building still. Um, we're going to wrap up, though. Ben's not going to make it in time to get shooed away. Love all you freaks. Enjoy your life. Peace and love. Love you, Marty. Love you, Carl. Love you, freaks. Love you. Okay.